0: That's right, Irene Cara, fame from 1980, from the film of the same name. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd jandruff Witellis, and here we are once again on what will be our final regular Thursday night broadcast. Now when I say final, don't panic. It doesn't mean that we're going off the air. It doesn't mean I'm quitting the show. It just means that I'm going to be switching the night of this radio program. The reason we switched to Thursday was so Brandon Drexel Gerson could make it more often to be on the show. But for whatever reason, he has been unable to make it. So, and again, I'm not criticizing him. I understand he does this when he can fit it into his schedule. And sometimes he can, sometimes he can't. But uh, I guess he's been busier lately and can't do it. So, no point to move it to Thursday anymore because Thursday is a day that does not work for a lot of people. It doesn't work for a lot of other potential co-hosts. It doesn't work for a lot of the audience who can't make it on Thursday to listen live. So, I didn't really love Tuesday either because Tuesday was difficult for me. So, I was happy to move it to Thursday for that reason. So, there was an obvious answer. Thursday is not good because a lot of people can't make it. Tuesday is not that good because I can't make it. So, What should we do? How about switch it to Wednesday? And that's what we're going to be doing Wednesday night from now on at 7.30 p.m. Unless I start late like tonight, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time on Wednesdays starting next week. So the next show will be six days from now on November 25th at 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. So that's the first announcement I wanted to make. Second announcement I want to make, because we are starting late, is that we have a free roll this week, as always, on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. It starts at 8.10 p.m. Pacific Time. We have a $50 prize pool this week, plus a $10 bounty on Willie Stoll, a.k.a. Willie McFML. So if you knock him out, you get $10. The prizes are $25 for first, 12 for second, 8 for third, 5 for fourth, and then of course that $10 for knocking out Willie. 25 12 8 and 5 You can find the rules to qualify for the free roll at pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. That's pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase. Exactly as it sounds. Make sure you read that at least once, or otherwise you may not qualify for the free money. The money this week was donated by various individuals. Pooh gave $41. Reno gave $9. Not the city of Reno, but the username Reno. I met him during the World Series this year. And Sonatine gave the $10 for the bounty on Willie, and He also won the free roll last week, so congratulations to him. So that's our free roll this week And one little note I want to add I give the rights to the donors To decide who can and can't win their money Because I don't feel it's my right to tell you How you can spend your money And if you're going to be generous enough To give your money to this free roll I don't want to tell you that you have to allow people You hate or dislike or don't respect or whatever To win the money that you earned yourself so I let anyone who donates to the free roll stipulate who cannot win. And this week, Pooh, who donated most of the money, $41, said he doesn't want Mumbles badly to win the money. Now, I like Mumbles badly, but uh, I guess Pooh doesn't like him, so he is excluded from winning 41 of the $50. He is eligible for the bounty, but he is not eligible for... of the prize, meaning if he wins any of these prizes, he only gets 18% of the value of the prize, and the other 82% gets prorated back into the other places that won. So, that is an option for anybody who wants to donate to the free roll. I prefer it if you just don't exclude anyone, because I like it better when just everyone's eligible, but it's your money and your right to do what you want. I do not have a... I don't have a co-host tonight So if you want to be the co-host You can So you have to have Skype To do it though I don't want to do phone co-hosting It sounds crappy I'm very big on the sound of the show Coming through well But if you're someone who's co-hosted in the past Or even if you want to try it in the present And you are on Skype And have a headset then go ahead I don't like when people broadcast using internal mics either Get a headset. It's not that hard. It's not that expensive. So anybody who wants to co-host tonight, please let me know. Otherwise, I will be doing it on my own. Someone mentioned that last week that when I was, when I was hosting this myself without a co-host, that they noticed that throughout the show, they heard a lot of swallowing. A lot of swallowing. <laughs> and not the good kind of swallowing, but that I was swallowing water. Here, I'll give you an example. They heard that. There we go again. See, that's what they heard throughout the show. And I mentioned during the show that for whatever reason, I think because it was very dry that day, I was very thirsty. And when you're doing nonstop talking during the show, that's what happens. You get thirstier and thirstier. So, I mean, I guess I could mute it when I'm drinking. It's just a pain in the ass. And I, I I haven't really set it up. Calwatt, who says in chat I'd call in Druff, but I'm going to pass out Soon, I think. Hashtag East Coast Problems. Yeah, I met Calwatt during the summer As well. He's a nice guy Had a meal with him And, uh, yeah, I understand He he works uh, a real job It's 11pm where he is In New York, so It makes sense that he's Very tired This show definitely has a West Coast bias Someone was complaining about the hours in the forum Today, saying that they don't like how it Start so late, you lose a lot of people And I said, yeah, you know, there's really no way for me to do this show Without shutting out certain listeners who want to listen live If I do it early, then West Coast people are still at work and can't hear it If I do it later, East Coast people can't hear And Europeans, well, they really can't hear it unless I do it like in the morning So, if you can catch it live, great If you can't, then feel free to catch the show in the archives Speaking of which, there are several ways to... Listen to this show. In the archives, you can catch it on TuneIn, on Stitcher, through iTunes. You can even do it directly through an RSS feed, or just download the MP3 directly from PokerFraudAlert.com. In fact, many smartphones can just handle that directly and very easily. But there is a new way to listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, which started in November. You can call. The listen-only phone number. The listen-only phone number is a number which you cannot reach me, but can be used to listen to the show, whether it's live or streaming the reruns, as I do the times when I'm not broadcasting live. So if you want to listen at any time to what is broadcasting on PokerFraudAlert.com, call 712-775-8162. Once again, 712-775-8162 You can find that phone number in the radio thread You can find it on the radio page of PokerFraudAlert.com 712-775-8162 is our listen phone line And the reason I have that is because it's useful If you are in a place without a very good internet connection Or if you're driving without a good data connection Or if you don't have a smartphone and you want to listen to the show There's many people who use that number so that's why I put the effort out to add it. If you want to call into the show, it's a different phone number. I actually hog up three different phone numbers just for this show, which is pretty outrageous if you think about it. This show, which broadcasts once a week, hogs up three phone numbers full time. So the main phone number to the show is 775 fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. 775-372-8355. And the Mount Charleston line, which you can call if you want to, that's the same. It reaches me just like the main phone number, but it's located in Mount Charleston. It's an old 70s rotary phone, which is near the top of the mountain of Mount Charleston, which is near Las Vegas. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. And make sure to show your caller ID no matter which number you call, or otherwise you won't get through. If you want to text the show, you can do that. It's the same as our main phone number, 775 fraud 55 775 372 is the way you'll have to text it. I will read your texts before, during, or after, or actually I received them before, during, or after the show. You can text me any time, but I will read them during the show if I feel like reading them, which is usually, unless you ask me not to at the beginning of your text. So here are some texts we've received. From the 901, please don't read on air. Okay. (laughs) Then you wrote a bunch of other stuff. I won't read it. From the 660, Eric code, Would love to hear you address this topic. You've seen travel agents basically become extinct. Do you think real estate agents will die off too? Seems like they serve no purpose. When you sell your next home, will you use an agent? Thanks. All digital since 2012 I don't know what that means but No I don't think real estate agents will go extinct I think that uh, they, they still do a lot there, There's a lot that goes into Buying a home That is not simple It sounds like it would be simple but it's not I'm not saying you have to be a genius to be a real estate agent But it's not uh, a simple process If you're not familiar with it And uh, they're going to be around a while I do think that the commission agents receive this real estate agents being based upon the price of the home that sells is not very fair where if you're an agent who works in a rich neighborhood that you get much more money than one who works in a poor neighborhood. But that's the way it is. That's the way the commission works. I do think some real estate agents are overcompensated, you know, you sell a 2 million dollar home which Isn't all that uncommon in a lot of big cities These days in the United States And they get 3% commission That's I I feel is too much Considering the work they did And considering they're not doing that much more work Than somebody who sold a $100,000 home But that's the way it goes I guess you could say the same at restaurants That you tip the server percentage wise And that the server at Denny's Shouldn't get that much less money Than one at a fine restaurant I mean yeah they should get more money but At the fine restaurant, but not the order of magnitude they do. So I guess that's just the way commissions work. This is from the 915 from Mumbles Badly. This is Mumbles Badly. The joke is on Pooh, he writes. He's the one who was excluded from the free roll by Pooh, who donated the money. I can't play the free roll tonight. (laughs) Tell Pooh to donate each week. So eventually I will not be able to win his dough on a night I can actually play. The other players will thank me. So he's saying that Pooh should just keep donating until Mumbles can finally play again so he can have the satisfaction of not paying out to Mumbles. Pooh is a very generous guy, I'll say that. He's donated a lot to the free roll and to contests on this site. In fact, he's donated, he'll say like, just do such and such on the site and I'll send 50 bucks tonight. So uh, he has a successful business out there in Florida and He shares a little bit of the wealth to the listeners of this show. So that's nice of him, even if he excludes people. If you do call me during the show, just keep in mind that if I don't answer, it just means I'm in the middle of something, and try back in 15 minutes, and I'll probably take your call. I do like to take calls. But if you're too shy to call, you can text me. You can chat in the chat room which you need a flash-enabled device to be able to do. No iPhones or iPads to get in there. I don't read the chat room that much during the show, so the best way to get a hold of me during the show is text or call. And keep in mind, I do everything myself. Keep in mind, I do everything myself, meaning I run it from a technical standpoint, I try to keep track of the messages coming into me, calls coming into me, have to think about what I'm going to say next. It's a lot for one human being to do. And talking nonstop, So just keep that in mind if there's pauses or whatever. I, I try to make the show sound as professional as possible and sound as good as possible. So here's the agenda tonight. And you never know what we're going to talk about. We don't always just talk about things on the agenda. Sometimes other things. Sometimes we pick up a co-host. You never know. So more topics this week about fantasy sports. This should be called Fantasy Sports Fraud Radio because that seems to be more the topic these days than poker because poker is in kind of a down season right now since the World Series is over. And there's not as much news about poker. And this show will not have that much about poker. I'll tell you that right now. There's some general gambling topics we're going to talk about but uh, not that much about poker. So keep that in mind if you're looking for a poker show tonight. But a lot to talk about with fantasy sports. The controversy continues. A leaked internal document from FanDuel, which is, to me, so shocking, I actually thought it was fake at first, but no, it's real. A leaked internal document from FanDuel strengthens the insider cheating claims that people have been making against Fantasy Sports and uh, FanDuel specifically. So wait till you hear this uh, internal document about playing on other sites. And this occurred before the scandal broke. There was a rally and protest outside of the New York Attorney General's office about Daily Fantasy Sports. Remember, it was banned in New York by the New York Attorney General. So people took to the streets to demand that the Attorney General... Change his position on this. But you're going to find that there is one detail that was not really revealed by the protesters. That's very important. And I will tell you what that detail was. John Oliver, who does the HBO show last week tonight, he did a fantasy sports show. He has now weighed, on fan, weighed in on fantasy sports. And keep in mind, last week tonight is a comedy show. And while John Oliver seems incredibly witty and clever and, and funny, you have to understand that he has a team of writers. Like he's, This is a prepared bit that many people worked on. So he's, he's not this funny off the cuff. I, I know he does work on writing some of it, so I'm not taking completely away from John Oliver. Uh, John Oliver, I found that he's at his best when he's taking on topics like this. Topics that are not political The problem is that John Oliver is Left wing So when he goes to politics He's too biased But when he takes on topics like this That are just of general interest to people uh, Then he can be uh, very funny and very interesting But even though I like the piece John Oliver did And I'm going to play some of it on this show I hope HBO doesn't sue me If they do, oh well But uh, John Oliver Left off A very, very key issue to his daily fantasy sports rant on his show. We'll talk about what was left out and why it may have been left out. Poker pro Travell Thomas has been arrested as part of a $31 million fraudulent debt collection scheme. Yes. Travell Thomas, now he didn't make $31 million out of it but he was part of a scheme that netted $31 million worth of fraudulent debt collections and in case you're wondering no it's not about poker debt though I think that would be a good business for some intimidating guys to go into collecting poker debt I think there's some good money to be made there but that's not what he did I'll tell you what he did do when we get to that segment Rounders came out, the movie Rounders, came out in 1998 starring uh, Edward Norton and uh, – uh, how's this escaping me right now? <laughs> it, was, uh, it was Ed Norton and uh, uh, Matt Damon, of course. What am I thinking? It's like the name is on the tip of my tongue. Matt Matt Damon and Ed Norton were in uh, Rounders, so was John Malkovich and a very good poker movie before its time, five years before the poker boom. Didn't do that great, but it has become beloved among poker fans. People liked Rounders. I liked Rounders. I saw it after I started playing poker but I liked Rounders. And Ever since then, ever since the poker boom started in 2003, we have been bombarded with a lot of really, really horrible poker movies, one worse than the next. Some are boring. Some are stupid. Some are entirely unrealistic. Some try too hard to create crime around the poker world rather than just making it about poker. Rounders proved you could make a good, compelling film about poker. Without inserting really anything else in there. Uh, yeah, it had subplots, it had its shady characters, but it didn't. It wasn't a poker film about really horrible crime that goes along with poker. It, it just was about poker. And it worked, and it, everyone liked it. But we've been bombarded with a lot of bad films trying to capitalize on the poker boom. And we have another one I think I can't say for sure because I haven't seen it It's going to be released on December 1st But a movie called Cold Deck will be released And I'll play you a trailer from that In 2012 Or late 2011 Somewhere around there A Limit Hold'em Poker bot Was released to various casinos Around the country including Caesars Properties this bot was called Texas Hold'em Heads Up, and unlike bots I normally talk about on this show where you're playing against who you think are human opponents and it's really bots, which is a form of cheating, here you know you're playing against a bot. It's a machine that is in the casino and you're trying to play Heads Up Limit Hold'em against it, and it's, it cannot learn from you, but it does have a very strong mathematically-based strategy, which is tough to exploit. Well, that has disappeared from most or all Caesars properties. Uh, Back in 2012, it actually was comping pretty heavily. So if you played that thing, you could reach seven stars pretty quickly. There's a myth that's why I'm seven stars today, which is not true. Uh, That's long gone. The seven stars I have today I earned by playing video poker like everybody else. But there is a new Limit Hold'em bot at Caesars Properties. But instead of being heads up, it is six max. It's a six max game where it's you versus five bot players for real money. So the question is, is it beatable? Is it worth playing? Can you earn seven stars or diamond status at Caesars by playing this limit hold'em bot? I will tell you what I found. I haven't tried it yet myself. But I think I will try it uh, next month at least if it's still there. And I will tell you what I know about it so far. And I'll give you some advice on how to make Diamond or Seven Star if you want to play this bot. An Israeli trio, that's three guys, were arrested for a massive scam involving hacking, online gambling, and securities fraud. And this was such a massive scam that the ones uh, perpetrating it Made over $100 million Over $100 million Was made through this scam And the Perpetrators have been arrested Except one is hiding at the moment Maybe in Russia So I will tell you all about this uh, Very very complex Scam they had going on Which had many heads to it There were many things they did It wasn't just one scam It was a series of scams These guys pulled including some that involved hacking into major U.S. financial institutions. It's actually pretty amazing what they pulled off. But uh, they also made a hell of a lot more than...
1: One million dollars.
0: So, they were successful for a while, and the money they made has not been recovered. Pennsylvania might be the fourth state in the U.S. to legalize online gambling. Right now it's legal in Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware. Pennsylvania, which is bigger than all of those states population-wise, may be legalizing not just online poker, but online gambling as well. I'll tell you what's happening with that legalization effort. General topics, well, hours after I finished this broadcast last week, a very, very big news story came up the Paris terrorist attacks occurred. I won't bother explaining what happened. I'm sure everybody listening to this show has heard a whole lot about what occurred in Paris. But on this show, I'm going to talk about the questions regarding Syrian refugees coming to the U.S. Should we let them in? Should we not? What are What do we have to watch out for? I'll give you my opinion on that. And finally, Charlie Sheen has come out and admitted that he has HIV. Winning! Yeah. But I'll tell you that Poker Fraud Alert has a small part in the story. No, nobody on Poker Fraud Alert caught HIV from him, to my knowledge, but there is a thread started by Sonatine on our forum dating back to November 2nd stating that Charlie Sheen was HIV positive. Winning! So not only did poker fraudler scoop the mass media, who only found out about this a few days ago, but poker fraudler was also the number one ranked search result if you typed in Charlie Sheen HIV plus for quite some time. Yeah, for over a week. PokerFraudAlert.com was the number one returning result for Charlie Sheen HIV Plus on Google. Not anymore, but even on the day before he appeared on the Today Show, it was still number seven for that term. So we were really blowing up there for a short time thanks to Charlie Sheen and his decadent ways. Winning! All right, let's get started. Free roll started 12 minutes ago, but you can still get in until 835. 775 fraud 55 is the phone number. Let me see the chat room before I get going. Let's see. People are talking about – I don't know what they're talking about here. Discussing where they live, and I have no idea. I have no idea what's going on in the chat room. Something about a bowling alley and a bingo hall and Roseville. I I don't know what they're talking about. I have no idea. So I will just ignore it. See if we got any other texts before the show starts. Let's see here. Uh, I don't see any. Okay, well, we will get going then. A leaked internal document strengthens The Insider Cheating Claims Against FanDuel By the way, I forgot one other thing before we get started Poker Fraud Alert broadcasts now 24 hours a day, 7 days a week And when I'm not on live You will hear reruns, randomly chosen reruns Streaming live on the site 24 hours a day, 7 days a week Just go to the radio page or call the listen phone number You can always hear Poker Fraud Alert radio now Even if it's not new Anyway, getting back to the topic There were insider cheating claims against the major daily fantasy sports sites. That's what has kicked off this whole firestorm of controversy. A a DraftKings employee named Ethan Haskell accidentally posted a list of the percentages of ownership of fantasy football players or football players through their fantasy contests. Before lineups had to be locked Locked meaning you can't change your lineups anymore So not only should he have not provided this information To players in that blog But it proved that he had access to it And then this kicked off a firestorm Of controversy because then it was looked into This Ethan guy, it turned out that he won Over two million dollars Playing on rival fantasy site FanDuel And then it was figured out that the Ownership percentages of players in fantasy sports Tend to be pretty similar between the two major sites. So if you, know the st- if you know the percentage of players that are owned on DraftKings through insider knowledge, then you're going to pretty much know it on FanDuel too because it's going to be similar over there. So it gave you a huge edge and this Ethan guy won over $2 million probably using those advantages. Uh, some FanDuel employees did the same thing on DraftKings where they seem to be just kicking ass over at DraftKings. So this started up a huge controversy and they mostly ignored... Fantasy sports sites When I say mostly ignored Not by the public I mean you can't really Ignore it since the ads Are everywhere But this had been Ignored by regulators This had been ignored By the Department of Justice This had been ignored By state attorney generals And now it's not anymore Now everyone is coming After fantasy sports Fantasy sports has a bad Reputation at the moment Because it is seen as Being very shady It is seen as a form of gambling. The subject of whether or not it is gambling has now come up and become very big. It's being banned in state after state. New York was the biggest blow. That's 10% of their customer base. So there's a battle going on right now between the fantasy sports sites and various forms of the U.S. government, both on the state level and the federal level, that are trying to either ban it or regulate it. So there's been a lot of controversy regarding whether or not they really were engaging in insider cheating on FanDuel and DraftKings. I'm talking, when I say they, I mean the employees. To me, it's been pretty obvious ever since the information came out. The fact that Ethan Haskell proved he had access to this data before lineups were locked and the fact that he was very, very successful on the rival site, that could not be a coincidence to me. And it is a huge edge. I'm not going to go into the strategy of it, but trust me when I say it is a huge edge to have access to the ownership percentages of players in the fantasy contest that you're going to be taking place. So, so it doesn't have to be the same ones on your site. It's just if, if you know on DraftKings which NFL players are owned and or what percentages are owned by... Uh, your competition, then you can pick the ones that are least owned that should have been more owned, the ones that are called under-owned, that fewer people choose them than what they're really worth. That gives you a huge edge to do that. And to have that information really, really, really gives you a gigantic advantage that I cannot emphasize enough. So if you have access to the info that Ethan Haskell did and proved that he did accidentally, then you can really, really abuse it on the other site, which is going to have very similar numbers to your site. Now, again, you only have access to this if you work at one of the two sites. But Ethan Haskell did work at one of these sites, at DraftKings, and he used it on FanDuel. And while we cannot prove he used it, we can prove he had access to the information, and we can prove that he did extremely well over there. But there are some people that are still not convinced. Some people believe that since there's no proof this was done, We can't just say they did it. There's some people who believe that we are just skipping over what needs to be investigated. Some people are saying that they are innocent until proven guilty. That unless we know for sure that Ethan Haskell used insider information to set his lineups over on FanDuel, that we should not condemn him or any other employees at FanDuel or DraftKings. What happened to innocent until proven guilty in the United States? Well, first of all, this isn't a court of law. This is the court of public opinion. And if something looks obvious, it's usually pretty true. Once in a while, that's not the case. But usually when something looks like it's cheating, it is cheating. This looks very, very much like it's cheating. But I've said this for weeks now, ever since this whole story broke. And those who are pro-fantasy sports, and when I say pro-fantasy sports, I don't mean you just enjoy fantasy sports. I enjoy fantasy sports, too. Or even if you're pro-daily fantasy sports, I'm talking about pro these two companies who are offering it. And I even had a guy tweeting to me that he normally enjoys my show. I think his name was Mike Summers. He tweeted to me that he normally enjoys my show, but he felt that I'm very wrong about Daily Fantasy Sports That I, I don't play it That I don't know enough about it And that uh, I'm just condemning it Without having enough information I, I don't see what information I'm missing uh, To me it looks pretty clear but, but he's one of the people who thinks That I've been too harsh on fantasy sports But I think uh, now it's becoming much more clear With actual evidence That yes, wrongdoing was definitely occurring Not just probably occurring Or, or likely occurring But definitely occurring I'm going to read to you from a document Which to me was so shocking I at first thought it might be fake But it's since been verified Which Is pretty unbelievable When you hear The contents of this document Which came from FanDuel uh, So On November 17th Just two days ago uh, Daily Fantasy Sports uh, Was Was there's an indictment fi- filed against them by Fan du- uh, by the Attorney General Eric T. Schneiderman against FanDuel and DraftKings. And this guy isn't the Attorney General of New York. So this only has to do with New York. This does not have to do with the rest of the country, though I think that the rest of the country will follow shortly. So that at least uh, some states will. In fact, the federal government is still investigating them. So this is the beginning. This isn't just a separate action by the New York State Attorney General that's unlikely to repeat it elsewhere. It's going to be repeated a lot of places. Anyway, in the indictment, it was disclosed that one piece of evidence is an internal memo. It's an employee document that was not meant to be seen by the general public at you know, within FanDuel. And this document pretty much told employees of FanDuel how to cheat and how to not let people figure it out. It's, when I read this, I thought, okay, this has got to be fake. This has got to be someone just put this out at the level. But apparently this is true. Apparently this is a real document. So here's how the document reads. It says, Goals. These outline what we're hoping to accomplish by asking you and other employees to agree to this policy. What policy might that be? Well, limit ability of employees to exploit, quote, inside information such as the picks of top users or the win rates of a potential opponents. Reassure any concerned site users that employees aren't exploiting inside info. Reduce chance of users questioning ability of employees to exploit inside info against them when they play on other sites. Actually, I guess this was probably... uh, written after the, the scandal started. I thought it was before, but now that I'm reading it out loud, it's got to be after. So, on the surface, this sounds okay. That their goals are to limit the ability of employees to exploit inside information. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's stop right there. Limit the ability of employees to exploit inside information. Uh, limit? Shouldn't it be Prevent? Shouldn't it be stop? Why is it limit? Limit means that it's okay if it happens. It just shouldn't happen that much. Limit the ability of employees to exploit inside information. Reassure any concerned site users that employees aren't exploiting inside info. Well, they are. You're saying you're going to limit it. You're going to limit their ability, not prevent. Just limit it. And then reassure any users this isn't happening at all. And then Reduce. Reduce the chance of users questioning the ability for employees to exploit inside info when they play on other sites. So again, it's not eliminate, it's reduce. So that's very bad. When you're limiting or reducing access, you're admitting that access exists. So the next section, those were the goals. Basically, limit the ability of employees to exploit inside info reassure anyone who's concerned about it, who plays on the site that uh, this isn't happening, and reduce the chance of people further questioning what's going on over here. So here's the principles section. These are the stellar principles that are communicated over to FanDuel employees. These are some of the factors that, that played into the specific set of rules that we're asking you to agree to. Playing on other sites helps employees do their jobs better. What? (laughs) Playing on other sites helps employees do their jobs better? (laughs) I mean, yeah, I guess if you don't want your employees to worry about paying rent, if you don't want them to worry about uh, having enough money to live on, I, I guess that helps them do their jobs better. If they can cheat on other sites and win more money, I guess they can be more relaxed at work. Playing on other sites helps employees do their jobs better. Sure, that, that, that's why they're playing on other sites. Just, just to do their jobs better. Do no harm through play on other sites so users are less likely to be suspicious or angry. <laughs> do no harm. Come on. They're less likely to be suspicious or angry. How about just don't play on other sites? How about just stay away from other sites, so <laughs> so this doesn't come up. Why do you have to play on other sites if you work for a fantasy uh, sports site where you can you can exploit inside info? Why not just say you can't play on other sites? Next, minimize internal flow of exploitable information where possible. So that there are fewer opportunities for exploitation. So again, we're using language like minimize here. Not just eliminate, not uh, bring to zero, not cease, but minimize internal flow of exploitable information. So there's fewer opportunities for exploitation. Not saying that uh, it can't be exploited, just uh, we're, we're making it a little bit harder. Then they write, we hire people we trust so we don't have any scandals. (laughs) That's pretty bad. That's pretty much saying we're going to hire people we trust who aren't going to leak what we're doing to the public so there's no scandals. If you need trust to prevent scandals, that means you're doing something wrong. If you're doing everything right, then you shouldn't care what gets leaked as long as it's not like – company private information that's none of anyone's business but as far as your practices in the company you shouldn't be ashamed of anything being seen so if you have to have trustworthy people working with you so nobody goes and tattles on anyone else that they're cheating on other sites that's pretty bad they're basically saying uh, we hire people who keep their mouth closed regarding things we're doing here that we shouldn't We're going to hire trustworthy people so we can cheat and get away with it. Hmm. And what does do no harm even mean? I mean, it sounds great, but what does do no harm mean? They didn't say when you play on other sites, never ever consult any information that you may have gotten access to. No, they're just saying do no harm. So what are they trying to say? Like uh, don't win too much or, or be careful and hide your winnings. Don't brag about your winnings to people. Like what are they trying to say? Do no harm. Then it goes on to say, this document should provide clarity to employees on what is and isn't acceptable. Yeah, to me it seems like cheating is acceptable. As long as there's no scandal. So then the document talks about the risks that they're taking. There's always risk when you cheat. So here's the risks from the playing on other sites that might uh, cause problems. These are some of the things that could go wrong if we don't have a policy or if the policy wasn't followed. Employees copying users' picks. Although this is one that users sometimes ask about, it isn't much of a risk because salary structures on each site are completely different. In addition, there are differences in scoring and roster configurations. At best, employees might get an idea of a player to research from a top user's lineup, but that type of information is available in lots of places. So basically, they're saying here that uh, yeah, they're a little concerned that You'll identify who the top winners on the site are And then just copy what their picks are That uh, shouldn't be able to be seen By anybody who's playing Like uh, This is information that isn't see That regular users cannot see Until they can't change their lineups But uh, they're saying employees Yeah they do have access to this information And they could copy these guys picks But uh, that when you're playing on the other site That since it's not the exact same structure That the tournaments are a little different And that uh, the salary structure Is different that it's not going to help that much, which I don't believe. But then they concede, well, you know, yes, you could do research from a top player's lineup and figure out who to, who to play, but it's not quite the same. Then employees targeting weak users as opponents on other sites. This seems to concern users less, but is more of a real threat. In fact, in a sense, it is happening already. Information that is known can't be unknown, so it's important we have some controls put in place to limit it. Uh, There we go with the limiting again There we go with the limiting So they are admitting On FanDuel That it is already happening That there are FanDuel employees Who are looking up Who the biggest Daily Fantasy losers are And then trying to find Those same players On other sites and play against them Especially in like heads up matches So they're saying It's already happening and they're saying, hey, look, if you already know it, we can't get it out of your brain. So if this is already been figured out by some people, fine, nothing we can do. That can't be unknown. It can't be unlearned. But uh, we can prevent more of this from being found out in the future. But only limiting it. But <laughs> Put some controls in place to limit it. Not prevent it. Not stop it, but limit it. And leakage of personal information, including win rate of users outside the company. Hmm. Well, yeah, that's bad. You shouldn't be leaking information about users, especially how much they're winning. But why should it be looked at within the company, too? Shouldn't this information be accessible to very few people and only to people who have nothing to gain from it personally? So then, internal controls and guidelines... These are rules about how you will treat confidential information. Only discuss our users' success and lineups were necessary. The less awareness of this information internally, the less chance for exploitation. You see what that's saying? That's saying that when they've noticed that certain users are setting lineups in a certain way, that uh, don't discuss this with other people. So if you do want to copy their picks, if you want to copy what the top players on the site are doing before they can lock their lineups, before anyone can lock their lineups, you want to copy what the best players are doing, fine, just don't tell anyone about it. Only tell people when necessary. The less awareness of this information internally, the less chance for exploitation. So they're saying, if you're going to do it, just don't tell everybody in the company. They're saying, loose, lip, loose lips are going to sink ships here. They're saying, if you go around and blab to tons of people in the company, oh, look at this guy, look how well he's doing. We've got to copy his picks too over on FanDuel. Well, then eventually it's going to get over to somebody who's not very trustworthy, who's then going to go to the media and make them look bad. So only discuss it where necessary, maybe with your close friends, maybe with the people of the company you really trust. But don't just blab it everywhere. If you're going to exploit this, just be quiet about it. Then they write, there is an expectation that employees will only look up such info as user lineups or user win rates where needed to do the job. Mm. Now that doesn't sound that bad on the surface. There is an expectation that employees will only look up info such as user lineups or user win rates Were needed to do the job So you could say oh good That just means that they are expected to Only use this info For work purposes And not to go play on other sites But wait a minute Doesn't that concede That they have no controls over access to it That means pretty much everybody can look it up And they're just telling them ah, ah, "Ah, Only look it up for work stuff Don't you dare look up this information And use it over on FanDuel Or over, over on DraftKings Don't use it on the other site. Shh. Just only for work. Only for work. Uh Uh-huh. And this is FanDuel, by the way. This is FanDuel regarding playing on DraftKings. The initial scandal was about DraftKings players, or DraftKings employees, playing over on FanDuel. Now, here are the rules for employee play on other sites. Never be among the top five players by volume on any one site based on site leaderboards. Never be among the top 10 overall on the Roto-Grinders leaderboard. Top players frequently become targets for accusations by other users. Wow. So they're saying that uh, don't play so much to where people will notice that you're playing so much. You've got to be subtle. You've got to do it with subtlety. If you're going to cheat, you can't cheat too much. Because if you win too much, people are going to get suspicious. So don't be one of the top five players by volume. Don't be seen as one of the top five people entering these contests. Otherwise, they're going to wonder why you're entering so many. Then they're going to see that you work for our site, and they're going to realize something's going on. That's what they're saying here. So they're they're telling their employees to stay under the radar when they play on other sites. Don't play too much, or people are going to see what's going on. Then it says, never account for more than 2% of entries in any tournament of more than 1,000 entries. Never account for any more than 5% of entries in a tournament of more than 100 entries. Players who who swamp big tournaments with entries frequently become targets of accusations. So again, saying stay under the radar. Don't be more than 2% or 5% of the entries depending on tournament size. Or otherwise you'll be noticed. You don't want to be noticed as a frequent player. Because then they'll start asking why you're doing so well and why you're playing so much. And you don't want that. Don't be the second person into a head-to-head contest against the same opponent in more than one contest per day. This rule will greatly limit the ability to exploit information about user performance and will also limit the likelihood of complaints from users. Hmm. So what they're addressing here is that they don't want you to sit with an existing player who's waiting for a heads-up game because they're afraid that their own employees will only sit with the ones they know are not doing well on their site. So they don't want losing FanDuel players to be targeted over on DraftKings and as soon as they're seen sitting heads-up to rush and go play with them because they don't want... uh, the appearance that they're targeting the weak players on the other sites. So they're saying, don't just, don't do that. Just don't go sit with them second. Don't be the one to go sit with them. Let them sit with you. Because if you go sit with them, then it's going to be obvious you're targeting them. But listen again to the language. Don't be the second person in a head-to-head contest against the same opponent in more than one contest per day. Which means you can target... Other, You can target the weaker players on FanDuel When they're playing on DraftKings With information about their performance that no one else knows But only do it once per day Once per day is okay Just, just don't do it twice per day If you want to exploit them once per day That's cool And again They're talking about limiting the ability to, to Exploit information, not preventing it This rule will greatly limit the ability To exploit information about User performance and will also limit the likelihood of complaints from users. They write, never use information gained from viewing users' lineups. Whoa. That's saying that you can view users' lineups. <laughs> so they're saying don't do it. But again, that's uh, like leaving the fox guarding the hen house. Then seek to avoid playing anyone whose lineups you saw for that time period. Yeah. So, seek to avoid them. If you see someone else's lineups, don't play against them. Restrain yourself. Seek to avoid it. Not just don't. Seek to avoid. What does it mean, seek to avoid? How about just don't ever play against anyone that you've ever seen their lineup on our site? Never do that. You're not allowed. If you ever do it, you're fired. Why, why not put that instead of seek to avoid? I'm not just being like nitpicky here. I'm not just saying that they should use slightly different language. It's clear here that they're not being very strong in anything they're saying. Limit exploits, seek to avoid playing, blah, blah, blah. It's not just don't do it. The simplest way to say don't do something is don't do it. Stop doing it. You are prohibited from doing it. You are not allowed to do this. That is the way you stop employees from doing things that are wrong. You don't tell them to seek to avoid things or limit their exploitation of things. When you tell them to do that, then you are saying, well, we prefer you don't cheat, but try to avoid it. We're not going to say you can't, just try not to. And then they keep talking about how it's important to do certain things to avoid arousing suspicion. So they're pretty much admitting that their employees have access to information that give them a competitive advantage. And they're encouraging playing on other sites. They even said it helps it helps do your job better to play on other sites, which isn't true. So they want you to play on other sites. They want you to seek to avoid and to limit the cheating you could do with the access you have on your own site. Apparently that uh, FanDuel employees do have access to user lineups and user information. And this memo is more telling you how to do it under the radar so it doesn't create a scandal rather than just don't do it. This is a very, very damaging document. So, what's weird is at the end of this document, by the way, they demanded that uh, FanDuel employees give their usernames of all Daily Fantasy sites besides theirs and agreeing to a uh, 12-month non-compete following termination of employment for any reason. and that you cannot play on FanDuel for a year after quitting FanDuel. So it's very weird that the concern here is not that you're going to go cheat on other sites using information that you have currently as a FanDuel employee. Their concern is that once you stop working for them, they don't want you playing on their site and cheating their <laughs> and and cheating their players. So, pretty disturbing stuff. And this this is in evidence now. This is going to be used against them in the indictment against FanDuel by the New York State Attorney General. So anyone who thinks that FanDuel is innocent here, that they're not okay with this cheating that was going on, and that all they were concerned about was their reputation, I mean, that's definitely what was going on here. They were cheating, they were advising people how to avoid being found. I'm still not sure if this was written before or after the scandal. By the way, one of the, one, in a, one of the class action cases filed last month against FanDuel, an employee named Matthew Boschio was named as a co-defendant in one of the class action cases. And he was one of the big winners on DraftKings, shockingly. So I don't know if there's ever going to be found a similar document over at DraftKings about how to play on FanDuel. But FanDuel stupidly circulated this memo basically telling you, yeah, it's okay if you play on other sites, just don't get caught. That's that's what the cliff note to that document is. Don't get caught and and don't overdo it. And, And seek to avoid exploiting this too much. So a rally took place outside of New York Attorney General's office where employees, where well, I'm giving it away now, <laughs> where uh, it was supposedly a grassroots rally to protest against daily fantasy sports being banned in New York State. Supposedly concerned citizens got together to rally against the New York Attorney General for what he was doing. Except one problem. Almost all the people, there's only about 300 people by the way, only, almost all the people at the rally were employees of FanDuel and DraftKings. <laughs> so They're so shady that they're actually setting up their own employees to do rallies and demonstrations. They're sending them to protest when they actually work for that company. And masquerading as just daily fantasy sports players Actually, they're not really masquerading I'm sure they are daily fantasy sports players on the other site Using information they shouldn't have I guess it makes sense I guess uh, you'd want to protest If you're not allowed to continue winning money That you shouldn't be able to win On other sites This is a big income stream for a lot of players, I bet uh, Who work at one of these two companies So it's gone now, of course they're protesting so even that's phony. Even though the, the rally they had. It's not like they got together a bunch of people in New York State. I mean, Like New York State was 10% of their business. And New York City is huge. It's the biggest metropolitan area in the United States. Yet they could not find people who were interested in showing up to this rally. So they had to stack the rally with their own employees. Who are pretending to be concerned players. Even that is phony. Everything they do is phony. The commercials are misleading The commercials are giving the impression Like anyone can win in these big tournaments Of course they are accessing Information that everybody else doesn't have To give themselves a huge edge You don't know about that when you play on there Now they're, they're making fake rallies Of supposedly concerned citizens When it's really just their own employees It's awful So, John Oliver, he did a piece about Daily Fantasy Sports. and I'm going to play some of it here. It's 19
2: minutes. I probably won't play the whole thing, but here's some of it. Daily Fantasy Sports, the most addictive thing you can do on your phone other than perhaps cocaine. (laughs) If you own a television, you cannot have missed their ads. Get to DraftKings.com right now for one-day games that let you win daily. FanDuel packs the thrill of a whole season into just one week. For FanDuel, there's no season-long commitment. Are your dreams big enough to cash a giant check? Play free with promo code TROT. Enter promo code YouTube60. Use the promo code Clean6. Enter promo code Bang9. <laughs> yes, daily fantasy sports combine everything dudes love. Sports, money, and a lack of commitment. And, and and I will say, I will say, the promo code really gives it an air of exclusivity. It's like you've just joined an elite supper club whose password is (laughs) Bang9. It's been impossible to avoid those ads. A few months ago, the two main daily fantasy sites, DraftKings and FanDuel, were airing a national TV ad every 90 seconds. You only need to remind people of something that often if your target market is sports-loving goldfish. <laughs> now, for those who don't know, let me quickly explain to you what daily fantasy is. Until fairly recently, fantasy sports used to be a season-long game uh, where you and your co-workers picked imaginary teams of players, uh, put $20 each in a pot, and eventually lost to Janice in accounting, <laughs> which would have been extremely upsetting, and I'll tell you why. She don't give a f- about sports. She don't give a f- but daily fantasy is very different. With daily fantasy, you can go online, uh, typically pay an entry fee of anything from 25 cents to thousands of dollars, uh, pick a team for just a week or a day and compete against total strangers. It's the same as season-long fantasy, the way a nice mug of tea is the same as a nice baggie of heroin. Now, both give you a lovely warm feeling, one's a little more intense. And many TV networks are not just airing daily fantasy ads. They're making deals with these companies. We should note NBC Sports Group and NBC's parent company Comcast are among the investors in FanDuel. This is something I should
3: disclose. The 21st Century Fox owns a stake in DraftKings. We should mention that CNN's
0: parent company, Time Warner, has made an investment
2: in FanDuel. As a matter of disclosure, ESPN has an exclusive two-year marketing agreement with DraftKings worth reported $250 million. Wow! At this point, there is almost no show that is not financially compromised by a relationship with Daily Fantasy, including yell at your daughter till she dances on Lifetime. (laughs) In fact, in fact, just so you know, HBO is a subsidiary of Time Warner, which means that this joke about being compromised is, in a sense, brought to you by FanDuel. <laughs> and, and I'll say, thanks, guys. And, and it's not just TV networks. Some of the sports leagues themselves have closely partnered with these sites.
4: The NBA has an equity stake in FanDuel. MLB has one in DraftKings. And many NFL teams have advertising deals with
2: the fantasy sites. In fact, twenty-eight of the NFL's thirty-two teams have sponsorship deals with either DraftKings or FanDuel, and the Cowboys and the Patriots owners are both investors in DraftKings. And of course, of course in a way, leagues and networks like the idea of daily fantasy. It's frankly the only thing that's going to make people want to watch the Bucks and the Jaguars face off on a rainy Thursday night. Because no one is watching just to witness the majesty of Tampa Bay kicker Connor Bath unless you are Connor's mom. And even then, she might DVR it. I'm sorry, Connor, but it is Thursday. It's scandal night. I've got Shondaland right through. Have a good kick. I hope you kick good. But, but, but it is... It's a little weird to see professional sports in cahoots with these sites because most leagues have generally been opposed to gambling. Unlicensed gambling is illegal in most states and these sites do look a lot like gambling. And don't just take that from me. Take it from Hall of Fame quarterback Joe Namath.
0: Do you feel like it's gambling? Is that what you do, do when you play fantasy pay sports? Do they to play? <laughs> I think you have to pay. And do they win something? They do. It's gambling. Okay. 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 I mean, that's a good point. And this is gambling. If you don't think it's gambling, it's gambling. It definitely is. And it's skill gambling, but it's still gambling. I've said that about poker for a long time. Poker is gambling. There's a skill element, but it's still gambling. And if you don't think it's gambling, think about poker. Have you ever lost a session where you were the best player at the table for sure? Have you? If the answer is yes, it's because it's gambling. So this is gambling too. And, uh... They're basically only existing in the United States legally because they are abusing the fantasy sports carve-out that was created in 2006 before fantasy sports even existed.
2: So, Joe Namor, a man so lacking in discernment, he wore this to the Super Bowl. (laughs) Even he can see that this is gambling. And he's not alone. Just last month. The Gaming Control Board of Nevada ruled it was gambling, essentially arguing, if people are going to lose all their money pressing buttons on a screen, that screen better have Sex and the City characters on it. (laughs) And just this week, there was another development.
5: Big trouble for those daily fantasy sports sites, FanDuel
2: and DraftKings. New York's attorney general says they amount to illegal gambling. Yes, the New York attorney general is attempting to shut down daily fantasy in the state. And if that happens, the best way to gamble here will once again be buying meat on a stick from a guy with a cart. (laughs) Why does my chicken have whiskers? Do you know what? I'm hungry, I'm rolling the dice. But both major daily fantasy sites insist that they've done nothing wrong. In fact, DraftKings even claims on its website that it's 100% legal, which is immediately suspicious. (laughs) If the guy at TCBY said this frozen yogurt is 100% legal, you would know that somehow it was a product of the illegal sex trade. (laughs) And both companies bristle at the very word gambling, insisting that they are something far more benign. You don't view... What you do here at
1: uh, FanDuel is gambling. No. That's a word that isn't used very much around here, I take nope. it.
2: Because we are, every time that you talk to uh, our users, what comes through loud and clear is the fact that we're an entertainment product. Okay, okay, sure. But do but, but you know what else is an entertainment product? Gambling. <laughs> gambling is incredibly entertaining. And t-
0: yeah, it's totally true, an entertainment product. <laughs> what does that even mean? Uh, by the way, this Matt King of FanDuel, who just said it's an entertainment product, if they ever make a movie about this, I think he's going to be played by Seth Green. He really looks like Seth Green to me. What I'm also noticing is uh, a lot of these executives at FanDuel and DraftKings, uh, they really have the computer nerd look to them, including this, this Matt King guy. So this is basically all the, uh, the computer geeks they used to know at school that are now coming back to cheat you at Fantasy Sports.
2: Well, of course, you're down 15 grand to a Russian entertainment syndicate. (laughs) But when DraftKings in particular claims that it's not gambling, it's worth noting that not only have they applied for and received a gambling license in the UK, but according to the Nevada Attorney General, their website once had search engine optimization phrases with multiple instances of the word betting. And sites usually use alt text like that, to tell search engines what they are. See, that I didn't know till I watched this piece. Apparently,
0: using uh, search engine optimization for these sites early on, uh, it was had hidden text like weekly fantasy baseball betting, weekly fantasy football betting, daily fantasy basketball betting. So they put betting in hidden text on the web pages so search engines would find them when people would search for Fantasy basketball betting. Fantasy football betting. (laughs) Sounds like gambling to me.
2: It's why this show's website is tagged with British nerd, Brit Dork, (laughs) News Goof, and Birdie Fact Funny Man. So so here's the question. How can DraftKings say they are not gambling and 100% legal? Well, daily fantasy sites often point to one particular piece of legislation, the 2006 Unlawful Internet Gambling Enforcement Act, or UIGEA.
5: Right now, of course, fantasy sports being a game of skill is carved out of UIGEA and um, permissible in most states in the U.S. I just think under the current law right now, it's very obvious that this fits within skill gaming.
2: Now, what he's referring to in his charismatic, monotone, sleep-inducing voice (laughs) is that in 2006, when Congress passed a law to crack down on online gambling, it exempted fantasy sports, which, remember, back then were just those office things that you lost to Janice in accounting. It it was meant to be a very small exception, but through that small carve-out, two multi-billion dollar businesses have emerged. It's like those lawmakers built a doggy door for a beloved pooch, and then daily fantasy came bursting through like a pack of wolves, (laughs) saying, we are dogs. It's a doggy door, right? That's for us. We're legally dogs. Woof. Right? Tell them. Woof. Woof. And
0: that's, and that's my favorite line. I'm going to stop it there. I'm not going to play anymore. If you want to watch the rest, you can find it on YouTube. That's exactly what happened. That, that's why that's my favorite part. That's exactly what happened. This was not supposed to be legal in the first place. Daily Fantasy Sports was not supposed to exist in the first place like this. Fantasy Sports were accepted from the UIGEA, so if you want to play a fantasy sports contest like you've been doing like a yearly one where you enter for 20 bucks and that's the most you can lose in a year then you can still do it and it's not illegal they did not intend a giant unregulated gambling industry to show up and cite this law as why it's okay to exist I feel that all gambling in the U.S. needs to be carefully regulated. It has to be. Otherwise, you have scandals like this. You have scandals like the UB scandal in poker. You have scandals like the AP scandal. You have scandals like the Full Tilt scandal. Every time we keep seeing over and over and over again, unregulated online gambling does not work. It gets abused. Cheating happens. People get stolen from. How many times do we have to have these scandals before we understand that these companies cannot self-regulate? They cannot. They are incapable of self-regulation. So we need laws to prevent things like this. We need regulations to protect the players. We do. I don't love getting the government involved in things like this, but they have to. This is one of these things where they have to. There are places where the government does not have to involve itself, but this is not one of those places. They do have to involve themselves here. And the fact that this is even legal is because they took something that was meant to be a very minor carve-out, something that could not do anyone any harm, that didn't need regulation, and built a very big and controversial multi-billion dollar industry on top of it, which definitely needs regulation. So at the very least, this needs to be regulated. The way it is right now does not work. I'm not going to play the rest of this, but if I were to play the rest of it, which is 11 minutes more, it's pretty much all the same. There's really not many more new, interesting points being raised. But what is not raised and what hasn't been raised for the first eight minutes I played you are the cheating scandals. How come we haven't heard anything about Ethan Haskell or any of the others who are accused of insider information being used to cheat on the rival site. That's why this is all happening. If Ethan Haskell had not posted that lineup percentage thing that uh, was before the lineups were locked, if he hadn't made that mistake on that blog, none of this would be happening. John Oliver would not be doing this show about Daily Fantasy Sports. It would still be legal in New York and Nevada. There would not be all these different actions. This is all a snowball effect from what Ethan Haskell accidentally did. Ethan Haskell accidentally opened up the door to having people see how shady these fantasy daily fantasy uh, sports sites really, really are. So I don't understand... Why in this 19 minute piece Where there's definitely time to mention it How they could leave out the biggest issue And that is there has already been cheating There is highly suspicious Activity that looks very very much Like cheating Now if HBO doesn't want to be sued I can understand why they don't call Ethan Haskell a cheater I'll call him a cheater But I can understand why others won't call him a cheater On major shows that are on HBO But they they can report the facts on it they could easily present this situation about the employees playing on other sites and the results they were getting and the blog that was posted. They, they could lay this all out here and let the viewer decide for himself. But it's not mentioned once. And I'm sure that's not an accident. So I'm not going to go with a conspiracy that HBO is trying to cover up the wrongdoing because uh, their parent company is an investor in fantasy sports, but... I think we had writers who were too paranoid and too afraid of the vicious lawyers that represent the Daily Fantasy sports sites. You can't do a piece like this and not mention the suspected cheating at all. That's a huge part of the story. That's the main part of the story. Whether it's gambling or not is secondary. I was discussing with with someone on the forum about the Legality of daily fantasy sports And that person complained Oh here we go again Why is the attorney general of New York Trying to figure out what's gambling and what's not Why can't he just let us play Why does he have to get involved in this And I said no 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 you don't understand The attorney general doesn't care so much that it's illegal gambling He cares that it's illegal shady gambling He cares that there's cheating going on And it's much much easier to prove That this is just gambling Than it is That they were cheating We all believe they were cheating, or most of us do But that's a lot harder to prove in a court of law Than it is that this is gambling That's the easy thing to do So the way to shut it down very quickly and easily Is by just calling it gambling Which it is But the only reason this is happening Is because of the cheating scandals And I don't know how John Oliver Can do a 19 minute piece on this And not mention it once Very strange And it's a huge omission Let's talk about a poker player, a poker pro named Travel Thomas, who was arrested. We have some trouble to report that this poker player is facing. Sounds pretty serious, actually. And this action is being taken by a very familiar office known as the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, the same office that shut down online poker in 2011. And the same office that's even going after Daily Fantasy Sports. Now this is not the same as the New York Attorney General but on a federal level this office is investigating Daily Fantasy Sports. So they also were apparently investigating Travell Thomas and 14 other people who were part of a $31 million fraudulent and coercive debt collection scheme. The indictment was unsealed by Preet Barra. you know his name He's the one who's behind Black Friday Thomas is named as the co-owner President and chief executive officer Of a debt collection company That took in more than 31 million dollars From thousands of victims across the US So he's not even just like an employee there He's, he's listed as the CEO Co-owner and president So he's probably... He probably, I, I don't know what percentage of the $31 million he got, but he got a lot of it. The press release states, As alleged, the defendants tried to trick and coerce victims into making payments to the company by making false threats and telling a host of lies, including that the company was a law office and that warrants would be issued for victims' arrests if they failed to repay debts. The indictment alleges that between 2010 and February 2015, the defendants tricked thousands of victims into paying millions, stating that they were affiliated with local government and law enforcement, while the law alleges that ab- approximately $31 million was collected. It states that Thomas was paid 750000 in cash to pay for his, quote, gambling expenses, uh, tickets for professional sports games, his wedding reception, jewelry, cosmetic surgery for his wife, among other expenses so i'm not sure where the rest of the thirty one million went uh, it's but uh thirty one million was collected, and uh Thomas was paid seven hundred and fifty thousand in cash, though the rest of the money may be hidden elsewhere. Anyway, uh, basically what they were doing is they were buying up debts really cheap, bad debts. And these were real debts, by the way. For those of you that don't know, the way debt works with, you know, I'm talking about bad debts when you owe money to companies or whatever, is that uh, collection agencies will buy them for pennies on the dollar, sometimes even less than that. They'll buy them super cheap. And then at that point, the debt is to them. They've actually bought the debt. And then they have the legal right to collect those debts. So when you're actually paying those debts, you're actually paying to uh, the collection agency. And they're getting the money. They're not getting the money and forwarding it over to the company that they're collecting for in most cases. Occasionally, that's the way it works. Occasionally, it's, uh, it's on a commission basis. But uh, a lot of the time, they're just buying the debts at, at very, very, very low dollar amounts. And then, uh, you know, these companies are happy to get anything. This seems like, it, again, this is the the way that Travel Thomas's company was working, where they were just buying debts. The problem is, you call someone who doesn't have much money, that owes a lot of money to different companies, uh, they just can't pay. You can say, oh, you better pay, oh, you owe money, oh, you know... You, we're going to ruin your credit, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter because these people are in such bad shape financially that they're just going to say, well, I'm sorry, I can't do it. So debt collection is very tough. Some debt collectors manage to be successful through persistence. They just call over and over and over again and drive the person crazy until they pay. There are legal options you have to stop that, by the way, as someone who owes money, but uh, a lot of times that's how these companies are successful. However, there are some rules in place some laws in place governing how debt collection can occur. First of all you cannot make any kind of threats you can't make any kind of physical threats or any kind of uh, threats of anything bad that's going to happen to the person if they don't pay you also cannot represent yourself as law enforcement or anything else that you're not you have to say that you are from a collection agency you can say that you represent the company that you're calling for But if asked, you have to say that you're from a collection agency. But you cannot say, this is the police, you better pay up your debt or going to jail. Totally illegal. You cannot call up and say, uh, I'm from a law office, we're about to sue you and ruin your life unless you pay this debt. Also, you cannot say that. Uh, You can't tell people that uh, they're about to be arrested if they don't pay immediately. Can't do any of those things. So basically what they did what this guy, Travel Thomas, did, and this, this guy seems like a real scumbag, is he, he called up people who were in very bad shape financially and made them panic that if they don't somehow scratch up the cash to pay their debts to these companies that he bought debt from, that terrible things are going to happen to them, that uh, warrants are going to be issued for their arrest, and and other pretty bad things, to where people panicked and literally gave their bottom dollar to Travell Thomas's company. Preparis said this: "He said as alleged, the defendants engaged what is believed to be the largest fraudulent debt collection scheme ever to be prosecuted, falsely threatening arrest and prosecution of countless Americans, including those who suffered from disabilities." The defendants charged today allegedly took ruthless advantage of the desperate situation in which their victims found themselves, using threats and lies to coerce payment and even trying to collect more money than the victims ever owed. Thanks to the tireless work of criminal investigators in our office, those involved in this massive debt collection scheme will no longer be able to prey on vulnerable Americans burdened by debt. So they they would call up people and say, pay now or you are going to be arrested? We're going to come down and get you. I'm I'm a lawyer, I work with the government I'm about to have a Warrant issued for your arrest For not paying this debt And people would get scared and do it So they collected 31 million dollars this way By calling up with these False threats of arrest it is illegal in all 50 states to identify yourself as a police officer or being affiliated with the police department. You can't do it. Even if you're not trying to get money out of people, you just can't do it. You, it. It is illegal to call up someone and say, Yeah, I'm Officer Such and Such from Such and Such Police Department. You're not allowed to do that, even if you're not trying to get any money out of them. You are allowed to call up and impersonate an attorney as long as, again, you're not trying to uh, commit any fraud. Like when I make my uh, Alvin Finkelstein calls, I'm not breaking the law because uh, I'm not actually trying to have someone send me any money or or do any kind of actual legal work for them when I pretend to be Alvin Finkelstein. But uh, what they were doing here was not only pretending to be the police or affiliated with the police, but uh, claiming that uh, people will be arrested if they don't pay their debts immediately. So people would literally give their bottom dollar. They would just not eat if they had to, to stay out of jail. So real scummy practices here. And let me give you some advice, by the way, for debt collection. Now, if you get a call from a collection agency for a legitimate debt you owe, and by the way, of course, here, as mentioned by Preet Barra, they were also collecting more. They were demanding more money than the person ever owed in the first place. These were real debts, but they would add on to it and say, well, not only do you owe this, but you owe this much more for our trouble or whatever. Processing fee or, or uh, interest. I don't know what they claimed, but they once they found someone was willing to pay, they, they made them pay even more. Once they found a mark. So good. I, I hope this guy rots in prison for what he did. But some advice I can give you regarding debt collection if you get a call from a debt collector first of all never ever ever pay any debt for any money you don't owe don't worry about threats about your credit of course they can never arrest you there's no debtor's prison in uh, in the United States they, they, you can never ever be arrested for owing money and not paying it you can be arrested for scamming but that's different If you just owe money, you know, you didn't pay your phone bill, you didn't pay your electric bill, uh, you didn't pay uh, some business that you got services from, as long as it wasn't part of some actual scam, it was just a matter of you owing money and not paying it, you cannot be arrested. You will not be arrested. Now, it can affect your credit if you don't pay your debts, but it is very hard or sometimes impossible to put things on your credit if they do not have your social security number. So if if whoever is threatening to put you through collections does not have your social security number and they don't work for a government entity that would have access to it, then, uh, then I wouldn't worry about it too much either. Then the threat doesn't have much uh, teeth to it. But in general, I believe that people should pay their debts. If you owe money, you should pay. And even if your debt got sold to a third-party company, if you still owe the money, then pay it. And I actually have paid collection agents before for money I really owed. Just, you know, I I forgot to pay a bill. It slipped through the cracks. They never notified me again. All of a sudden, it's in collections. So I've paid that before. I, I, I don't stiff people, and I'm not suggesting you stiff people. In fact, I'm suggesting the opposite. You do pay your debts. However, Do not ever pay one penny over the debt amount. Do not ever pay collection fees. Do not ever pay interest. Do not pay anything above the principal amount. And also ask them to send you proof that the debt is now clear. Because sometimes they won't send you that proof and then you'll get another collection agent calling you and you're going to have trouble proving it. Also make sure that you pay in a way that you have proof that you paid. But do not ever 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 pay a collection fee. I once was with a girlfriend, not the one I'm with now, but with a past girlfriend and she got a collection call. And she wasn't a deadbeat or anything. She was just another case of forgetting to pay a bill and it ended up in collections. So this woman, you know, was speaking to her And I'm hearing the conversation And I, I asked her to put the woman on hold And I said is this a legitimate debt and she said yes I, I forgot to pay a dental bill a while back I just totally forgot So I said okay Well then you should probably pay it She said okay She's getting all ready to pay it And then the woman wants A $15 collection fee on top of it So I told her no I said don't Do not pay this Do not pay this So she got back on the phone with a woman and said, I'm sorry, I can't pay that. I'm going to only pay the, the principal. I'm only going to pay the actual amount I owed. So the woman acted like she was about to be in tears. <gasps> I, I can't accept the, just the principal because that's my commission. The $15, that's how I put food on my table. That's, they, they don't pay me anything, and, and the only way I make my money is from the 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 collection fee that I'm charging you, so... If you just pay that, then I'm not going to be able to eat. I, it was it was the worst, and I'm hearing this, and my girlfriend at the time, you know, she she felt bad hearing this, and she thought maybe this was true, and I so I, I grabbed the phone and you know, put it on hold, and and she said, "What are you doing? Stop interfering in this! You know, I I don't want to. You know, she has to eat too. She has to work too. It's my fault. I forgot to pay the bill. I shouldn't." Uh, you know, she shouldn't get nothing out of this. She's doing her job. And I said, you're being lied to here. You're being scammed here. She gets a healthy portion of what you're going to pay here because the company she works for bought this at pennies on the dollar. And by you paying in full, the company's going to make a lot of money and she's going to make a lot of money off this simple phone call. She's just trying to pile on another $15 on it to give herself extra. She's going to get very well compensated for this. So she's starting to argue with me. I don't know. She's saying, I don't believe you. You just think you know everything, blah, blah, blah. She's like, we had a fight about it. She actually felt like I was trying to starve this poor woman just doing her job. So finally, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I, I literally grabbed the phone from her forcefully. And I got on. I said, yeah, hi, I'm her boyfriend. Uh, we're going to pay this debt, but we're not paying any fees. So I'm giving you two options: either you can take the payment in full without any fees, and we'll do this right now, or I'm going to hang up the phone. Which one would you like? There's a pause for about ten seconds. She says, "Okay, go ahead and pay in full with no fee." And my girlfriend was sitting there shocked; she couldn't believe this. She because she she kept being told by the woman that just can't be done, that it's uh, that she. You know That she has to get paid There's no point for her to do the job If uh, she doesn't get paid Suddenly it was okay When I gave her the option If we'd pay or we're going to hang up So Never let collection agents Make you feel bad Don't let them make you feel guilty They're doing a job They're getting paid very well If you pay the debt Most people don't pay at all Most pay- people pay nothing so by you paying, you've done them a huge favor already. I have another story about uh, debt collection. Oh, and by the way, if, if it's a bad debt, which I'm about to get to in my next story, if it's a debt that, when I say a bad debt, I mean a, a debt that is false, a debt that uh, you don't really owe, do not ever pay to get them off your back. Just do not pay, refuse it, and say, if you put it on my credit, I'm going to sue you. And then check your credit. You can go to your check your credit anytime for free at annualcreditreport.com. And this is not like a, a scam site that wants your credit card. Annualcreditreport.com lets you check your credit with no credit card or any form of payment. But if anything shows up on your credit that you owe money, you don't. Just send in proof to the credit reporting agencies why this debt is incorrect, and they will remove it. So don't ever let anyone threaten your credit based upon... Bogus claims of a debt That's another scam Sometimes it's an intentional scam Sometimes it's an unintentional scam Where they just get bad information And they just uh, They're not going to work to look that up for you So Shortly after I moved to Vegas uh, I don't know I think this story occurred about 10 years ago I moved to Vegas in 2004 uh, I got a ticket in Los Angeles near the airport. It was it was a stupid ticket. It was like a it was like a seatbelt ticket, and I didn't have my seatbelt on because I was just starting to drive and I hadn't put it on yet. And I got pulled over, and then I never got the courtesy notice saying what I owed, so I forgot about it and I didn't pay, and then it became like a. $560 ticket from $25 And then I had to go to court to get it back reduced And I, I still ended up paying like 170 It really sucked, but the, the worst part Was that after I paid the $170 and, and wasted all my time in court I got a call About I don't know, Maybe a year and a half later From a collection agency Over the $560 Ticket, which had already been reduced To 170 which I paid on the spot In court right after they reduced it Now I kept the receipt For quite some time but I had thrown it away by then Because it had been a year and a half I hadn't heard anything So you know if you pay A ticket And You know you may keep the receipt around for a while Just to make sure everything went okay and they really have Proof of it but A year and a half had passed and no one had notified me From the DMV there was any problem so I threw it away at some point So a year and a half later I'm getting this call From a collection agency that works for the Court system in West Los Angeles that I owe $560 for this ticket. As if I would, never went to court for it. So I told them you're wrong. I said, I went to court. I explained the whole thing to them. And they said, sorry, sir. You're going to need to send us proof of that. And I said, I'm in Nevada now. I can't I can't get this proof. I'd have to go down to court in West Los Angeles, 300 miles away. I'm not doing it. You. You work for the court. You go check with them. And you can have them call me if there's any questions about this. But uh, you're incorrect here They told me That's not the way it works here You owe $560 According to our records We are going to keep calling you about the $560 You owe until you pay it So I was really getting frustrated Because I had no way out of this one I said okay well can I call the court On Monday I was getting the call like at uh, Night time on a Friday And and it was real too it wasn't uh, a scam or anything I, I said, can I call a court up on Monday and, and have them uh, call you guys? No, no, that's not how it works. You have to get a certificate from the court that you have paid this off and send it in to us. And you have to do this by physically going down there. I'm like, do you understand? I live in Las Vegas now. I cannot do this. They said, well, then we're going to have to keep calling you. You're going to have to pay your debts. Well, they didn't believe me. They thought I was full of shit. And they were, they were really, really rude to me, thinking that I'm just a deadbeat who doesn't want to pay my ticket. But the worst thing, the thing that pissed me off the most Is that they had the ability to check on this And they just don't do it They make you do all the work to prove that uh, You don't really owe the money And in fact they won't even uh, Take any call Like they wouldn't allow me to three-way on the court Or something like uh, On Monday afternoon or something No, they, they were not going to let me do that I had to send a, a, an official statement from them That I could only get by going to court Physically, 300 miles away So, I called up. Uh, I called up the court on Monday, and I said to them, "What's going on here?" I thought I paid this. They said, "Yeah, you did pay it." I said, well, wait, "Wait, you show I paid it?" They said, "Yeah, you don't owe us anything. You you paid one hundred seventy dollars, you know, a year and a half ago. It's done." I said, well, tell your collection agency uh, that. Uh, They said, unfortunately, uh, we don't tell the collection agency anything either. (laughs) We just send them our list, and then they call the people. So sorry that this happened in error. I said, yeah, but they're going to keep calling me. They said, I'm sorry, we have no way to do this. There's no procedure we have to do this. So yes, if you want this to stop, you're going to need to come down here and get this certificate. Like There was no way around this. So I said, let me ask you one more question. Does this agency you're using, do they have any power to put this on my credits and can they do anything to my driver's license or not? I said, I have a license in Nevada now anyway, but can they do anything to me or are they just calling to hassle me? They said, well, to tell you the truth, they're just calling to hassle you. They don't have any power. What they do is they report back to us and then we take action, but we won't take any action here because you don't owe any money. So I said, okay, so if it's a mistake and they report back to you, I'm uncooperative, then nothing will happen. They said, that's correct. So I said, okay, thank you very much. So shortly after that, I got another call from that collection agency. And I explained to them, I called the court and they told me I don't owe anything. And of course they said, no, we don't believe you. Again, you have to give us proof or we're not going to stop calling you. I said, I see. All right, well, I have one thing to say to you about that. And they said, okay, what's that? I said, suck my dick. And they said, what? I said, you heard me. I said, suck my dick right now get down on your knees get in front of me pull down my pants and suck on my dick and this woman was sir that's obscene that's 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 extremely rude I said what you're doing to me is very rude and she said this this is obscene and against the law the way you're talking to me I said no it's not you're calling me and what I'm telling you is that if you or anybody else calls me ever again all I'm going to say is suck my dick that's my only comment to you from now on is suck my dick and she said, you can't do that. That's against it. I go, no, it's totally within the law. If you don't want to hear me telling you to suck my dick, then just don't call me. So that's my, put that in my notes, that I am not going to say anything to you guys when you call me except suck my dick. That's going to be the only thing I ever say to you. And so she says, but sir, I suck my dick. She says, you're not allowed to. I suck my dick. Like, oh, <laughs> I just, I just kept doing that. So finally she hung up on me. Guess how many calls I got from that collection agency between then and now.
3: Zero point
0: zero. That's right. Telling the collection agency to suck my dick stopped it. This won't always work, but in the case where they were calling me on an erroneous debt that they had no power to harm me in any way for refusing to pay, that was the way to stop them. We just tell them I'm actually going to be obscene telling them that I'm not going to cooperate. I'm just going to tell them suck my dick every time. And (laughs) everything they tried to say, I just interrupted, suck my dick, suck my dick, suck my dick. They, They finally just gave up. They didn't call me again. And by the way, it is completely legal to say obscene things. You can be as obscene as you want to someone calling you and bothering you because they are not required to call you. You cannot make obscene phone calls to other people because there you're calling them and you're subjecting them to it. But if somebody has the option not to call you to not hear you be obscene, then they cannot make any kind of criminal complaint because the response would be, well, just stop calling the guy then. You don't want to hear him say, suck my dick, don't call him again. But yeah, I actually told the collections agency to suck my dick several times. and And that stopped the phone calls. True story. So... You can't ever let these type of places push you around. And I'll tell you, the people who work for these places are usually pretty bad people. These are people who will say and do anything to get money out of you. You should never feel guilty about the way you treat them back. You just need to make them go away. And and by the way, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay your debts. I'm saying if you legitimately owe money, then pay it. But don't ever pay fees on top of it, and don't ever let these people pressure you to paying something you shouldn't have to pay, and do whatever you have to do to make them go away, as I did. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, this is
4: uh, a 2 A.
0: Yes, hello.
4: Caller, I actually uh, just listened to the radio show. I've
0: actually been in uh, debt collections for the past seven years, so oh. I thought I may be able to add to some of this. Yeah, that's good. You know, I we always have experts that just pop up out of the audience that want to offer their expertise here, that uh, from things that they do at work. Like we had someone call in to a previous show who was a car salesman when I talked about car sales. And uh, so, right. what, what would you like to add to this? Well, I just, I mean, I, I was in first party collection, so it was a
4: little bit different. Um, we still had to adhere to FDCPA. Uh, but those laws didn't quite really go to to us. I mean, uh, we were forced to follow them, but, uh, FTCPA falls under third party debt collections. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a debt collector, I I was, uh, I love the people that would say obscene things that. Made the day go by a
0: lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you would have liked to have called me and have me say to suck my dick. Well, at least I said it to a female, though. At least that wasn't like a gay thing. So, but uh, right, yeah. So, so what? Uh, so, okay. When you would do it, though, when you would do the the debt collection, uh, what tactics would you use to get people to pay up?
4: Well, uh, I, I worked for Sally May, uh, so was, and, and I worked in private student loans. So there was a couple of things that that they could actually do legally um, to get them to pay uh, charge-offs and garnishments and stuff like that. So it was a little bit different uh, than what third-party collections would be. Um, I was in late age, so I was actually almost the last step before they would actually default and get wage garnishment. So a lot of the times, uh, if I was able to get them on the phone, it was pretty easy. I mean I wasn't very aggressive or anything like that. You just – yeah, they I, had a lot of options for student loans. And-
0: yeah, yeah, and that's true, and, and I guess if it really was about to go into wage garnishment, then they feel more uh, compelled to do it. And, and, and then of course you know, if this is – if you're working for the actual – for the company that's collecting the debt – Then uh, that's a little different story—an in-house collection versus a a third-party collection. I I didn't bring that up, but that's that's true. I I once had a situation where my sister called me in a panic that eBay was calling up to hassle her about uh, debt collection over like thirty dollars, about like a thirty-dollar eBay fee, and that some woman was calling. This is like at seven thirty at night. Some woman was calling her up demanding $30 payment on a credit card. And me and her were sharing the same eBay account. That's why she was telling me about it. And it was actually my fault because I had uh, I, I had forgotten to pay the, the $30 bill on eBay. So uh, she said, I thought I told you about this last week, and I thought you emailed me yesterday that you paid it. I said, I did. And she said, well, this woman insists that you didn't. So I told her, well, tell her I did. So she went back to the other line, told the woman that she paid, and the woman lied and said – Oh no! Well, tell your brother I'm seeing that payment here, and it didn't go through. She just completely made that up. She, all she wanted was my <laughs> sister to pay on the on the, on the credit card and you know, get compensated by eBay. Because she she, I, the weird thing was that was actually in house. That was an amazing thing. And I I meant to go complain about her, but I never did it. But uh, um, this is an in house person at eBay who was going to get some kind of uh, commission or something for clearing this debt, and and lied to my sister that she's seeing my payment and it didn't go through. Wow. I do have uh do have kind of a funny collection story, uh
4: from a, an aggressive person. Uh this guy's name was spelled ASWAD and I I was a supervisor at this time. <laughs> I know one more work for Sally Mae, but uh I was a supervisor at the time and my representative she was kind of nervous, she was kind of new, she was like I don't wanna mis- mispronounce this guy's name, how should I pronounce it? <laughs> and I Told her to pronounce it aswad, so she calls him, and there was notes that this guy was, you know, always obscene and always yelling and stuff. So he gets on the phone and immediately asks to speak to sure. the advisors. And I get on the phone and I'm like, you know, how can I help you? And he was like, I'm tired of your representatives mispronouncing my name. My name is not aswad. My name is not oswad. My name is aswad. <laughs> So, <laughs> I, so, so during that call, I, I, I purposely kept him on the phone as long as I could, so I could get to calling him asswad as many times as I could.
0: Did he end up paying? No, no, he did not. <laughs> so he actually, but, he actually wanted to be an asswad. That's interesting. You you would think that he would uh, yeah. uh, even if that's, that's the correct pronunciation. You would think that he would actually change it, just so people wouldn't exactly. be calling him asswad. I think I think it may have been some sexual thing. He liked being called an asswad. I don't know.
4: <laughs> and then and then a, a second quick funny story, and, and this one actually kind of got me in trouble. Um, this was at a, uh, a a different collection agency that I worked at after check and or, I worked for Check and Go, um, which was definitely a, a big change going from private student loans to uh the bottom feeders of payday loans. But uh one of my tactics of getting people to admit that they are who they are is instead of calling them and uh you know like me saying, Hi, is this Todd will tell us uh, instead of me doing that to give them a chance to say, Oh no, that's not me I would call them up and just you know be like, Hey Todd <laughs> Yeah, that's me. Um so Uh, this lady, she had a – and I'm not being racist here. She had a very, very, like, black person name, like Jaquan or something like that. And uh, I call her up, and so I I say her first name to try to get, you know, her to admit that it's her. And she asked me who I am. And and when they ask you actually who you are and who you're calling with, by law, you actually have to state the company name and, and the purpose of your call. Uh, which I heard you saying that earlier, which is true. And so she, she got mad and she was like, uh, you know, don't call me by my first name like you know me. Well her last name was uh P I G G E E So I said, Okay, Miss Piggy, how will you be paying that bill today? And she and and she gets all mad and I said, Well, could you maybe ask Kermit
0: to to pay? <laughs> i'm sure she heard this a lot before but still to have a collection agent uh, but she probably was but she probably was going to be less likely to pay if you call her names like that didn't you keep that in mind
4: oh there was all kinds of notes like i mean
0: in collections i
4: mean uh you use the same system and you make you have to make notes by law for quality assurance
0: so so you knew she wasn't going to pay anything
4: yeah, I mean, we we've made contact with this lady several times, but, and that was the same with uh, with Aswad. We've made contact <laughs> with him several times, and he very clearly made it made it clear that he wasn't paying.
0: Yeah, I actually got some calls for people that uh, used to have my phone number in the past and it was really annoying because they never believed I wasn't that guy. So like I kept saying, "Stop calling me. I'm not that person. I don't know him. I have his old phone number." And they didn't believe me. I had to start threatening them with the police that I'm going to call up and report this as harassing phone calls and them going to the Federal Trade Commission as well. And they they, you know, finally would stop, but or then I would get this crap about, "Okay, we're going to put a note, but it'll take 30 days to process." So I'm like, "No, I don't think so. It's going to stop now." So it It is it is very annoying to deal with those. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who bullshit and say that they're not the person that's being called for. And your your trick's pretty good. In fact, your trick that you use to just call the person by name, when police come to someone's door and, and issue a search warrant, it's not always the way it's shown on TV or even to arrest someone. Like It's not always a, the way it's shown on TV where they say, police, open up. Sometimes it's that way. But sometimes they will knock on the door and just try to get them to open it by, by calling their name or say, hey, we just, we just want to uh, – uh, hey, I want to talk to you about something. They don't say, hey, we're the police. They just uh, – they'll say something like that and right. hoping that if they just sound more friendly, that someone may open it up. And uh, if they're called by name, hey, I want to talk to you and then open it. Oh, yeah, we want to talk to you because we're the police and we're going to search your place. Like that's uh, – uh, they'll do that sometimes to make the whole thing easier or like in the case of search warrants to prevent people from destroying evidence while they're trying to get in there. So,
4: right. There's also another. Uh, I mean, this doesn't really have any kind of use for you, but there's also another interesting tool that uh, it's, a, it's a free tool called SpyDialer.com. You can actually go and type in a cell phone number into SpyDialer.com, and it'll actually let you listen to the person's voicemail without actually ever calling the number. So. One of the tactics is was to add it into slide dialer and listen listen to their oh, voicemail to see if their name was on their voicemail before you actually ever calling them
0: now now the way I can tell you technically how that would work is i have i've always been really into telephones and all that stuff, so i I know these type of things pretty well. Voicemail systems can be accessed i see i don't know if this will work as well anymore on, on modern voicemail systems, but it used to be that. Voicemail systems—you could jump to any other voicemail box on the system once you're on it. So what they could do is uh, they could just call a random number. So let's say let's say we're doing it for the number six five zero seven zero eight nine. What it would do is it would call six five zero seven zero seven zero, like a random number, something they know will go directly to voicemail. And then and then what it can do is through a series of touchstone presses can move directly over to that other voicemail box without making the phone ring. But I, I don't know if this is possible anymore with all systems. I, I This used to be possible back in the 80s and 90s on voicemail, but I don't, I don't know if... Uh, I haven't really checked in a while. But uh, I don't know if this is still possible. So is this spy, spydial.com? Spydialer? Spydialer. I mean, you know, I'm going to do it right now. Let's, let's check it right now. Yeah. Check the, uh, let's check the poker fraud alert voicemail. I bet that'll never work. <laughs> let's, let's do it here. Okay, I, I see it here. It says, "Well, it says cell phone or landline number." Well, let's, I'm going to seven seven five three
4: seven two. The landline
0: it only gives you an option to do a
4: name lookup.
0: Okay, let's see. Name lookup, photo lookup. What's the photo going to be? <laughs> it's going to be my photo. <laughs> we found <laughs> a photo, and it's like, oh, it's a, fo- it's it's actually a photo of Mount Charleston. Uh, no, it's not Mount Charleston. That's, that's the other number. It's a photo of some map. It kind of mountainous, but it's not. It's a, it's a photo of some map. So let's go back to name lookup. Let's see what it says. Ah, wow. It says seven seven five three seven two eight three five five is Todd Witellis near Lathrop Wells, Nevada, which is true. Okay, let's uh, let's, let's put in the uh, the Mount Charleston line. Let's see if we can get that too. Hmm. That's crazy. <clears throat> Gonna use this thing a lot. <laughs> now our users are gonna use this too on each other. But all right, here we go. <laughs> Name look. Oh, oh, hold on, I wanna see the photo lookup for the Mount Charleston thing. It is. <laughs> it's a report of, it It's a picture of some neighborhood, some ghetto-looking neighborhood in Las Vegas. That's not correct. Let's go back here.
4: That's probably where you live.
0: Okay. <laughs> Name lookup says. It's just working, working. It's the spy, spy dialer. is working. It's just You're spinning. Let's see. Huh? It's not going anywhere. It's saying it's working, working. I think, I think I've stumped it. I think the Mount Charleston line cannot be looked up. Now the whole thing's frozen. Let's try it again.
4: It's because it's at a secret location. Right? I, I think,
0: I think I crashed it. I think, the, I think the site's not working now. <laughs> I'm serious. It's not working anymore. Let me go back there. Spydialer.com. 7024308. Okay, I got back on. 10808. See, now it's just ignoring me when I'm trying to trying to enter that number. Is this a cell phone? It takes a little bit of time to break it. No, up it's, it's not a cell way. phone. No. It's, it it's just, yeah, it just breaks it. It breaks the site. If you try to enter the Mount Charleston line it breaks the site. It literally breaks it. Well, I guess that that's what happens when you have a old seventies rotary phone on top of a mountain It does not work, but at least the main phone number worked at least you can see the uh you can see the seven seven five fraud fifty five number is really in my name so okay uh oh someone just said I tried spy dialer and it called my phone it's ringing, so that's a fail and my phone <laughs> wants and my phone won't stop ringing. It should have gone to voicemail but now it's rang fifteen times <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe it's not working as well as you think. It's still an interesting tool, though. I guess if it makes the phone ring, you could use it to prank call people. In fact, people are going to probably use this I, now. I actually,
4: I have had it pick up like where they where they actually pick up before. I mean, so it's not a uh, hundred percent cell proof, but it it does go to voicemail pretty often without yeah, phone
0: ring. Yeah, maybe it tries to figure out how to get to the voicemail, and if it can't, it just it just says "fuck it, I'm going to call it," and uh, and it just records the voicemail off there. <laughs> It's like, it doesn't care. Yeah, so so Darkstar, he's just getting hammered now with phone calls from this thing. <laughs> he put his own number in there, and it's just, uh, he said, I had to turn off the volume on the phone to stop the ringing. Jeez. <laughs> you, you know what I did many, many years ago, and uh, I, I have to assume the statute of limitations has expired by now, so I can admit to this, because we're talking about over 30 years ago. Over 30 years ago, I, I had a way to call nine, seven, six numbers, which were kind of like 900 numbers, uh, for free. And there was like a wake up call phone number. And, uh, so I decided to pull a prank on this guy that I knew that, uh, I set wake up calls and it was like $2 per call, but it didn't cost me anything. It it wasn't charging anyone. It's just a way to get through to for free to for free. I, I made wake up calls to him like every five minutes and it drove him nuts. Like every five minutes, the entire night I set the thing to do. It took a little time for me to set up. I had to keep calling back and back and back and back, and like, okay, two a.m., two a.m., two ten a.m., all the way through. But he he was going crazy because he, he'd like he'd hang up his phone and they go, okay, like uh, I'm sure it's okay now, and like at five in the morning he gets up to go to the bathroom and puts it back on the hook. Ring, like it just, it just does not stop. And then I was, like, in school um, and I'm hearing the guy talking about it. Someone was wake up calling my phone all night. I don't know what the hell it was about. Like, I, I can't imagine who would pay $2 every time to do that to me. But, like, And he was—he looked really tired, too. He looked really, really tired that day. So, yeah, it was a prank wake-up call. Uh, by the way, how's the uh, quality of my voice? I'm on my cell phone. It, it's, it's all right. You know, it's not perfect, but it, it hasn't cut out. It just sounds – you know, cell phone – Phone quality, it's just, the voice quality is not that great. It's just never been that great. Landlines have always been better than that, and Skype's even better than landlines. Skype is actually the best voice quality you're going to have. And then uh, landlines are, are, are pretty good too, and cell phones are inferior. And the reason cell phones are inferior is that what they're doing, and I've mentioned this before on this show, they're taking your voice and compressing it into a data file and then sending the file over to the other end and then it uncompresses, but uh, in order to make the data file smaller when it's compressing your voice, it has to do it at lower quality. So it's it's not as good as a, an old style analog phone. So I I prefer using landlines when I can. I'm just big on sound quality. So all right, well I, thanks.
4: Didn't, I didn't know that until like your last uh, that you talked about it an episode or two ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, I guess I'm getting repetitive, but okay. Anyway, thank you for calling and giving us this information. And uh, I hope people enjoyed this little collections segment. And uh, now I guess people know about spydollar.com if they want to prank call me with it, too. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll enjoy the rest of the show. All right. Thank you. So that's, uh, I think, A. Hoosier A. I've definitely seen him around before. So. Let's see here. What is our next topic? Oh. The movie Cold Deck. has It's the next in a long line of poker movies. And seriously, not one of these poker movies since Rounders has been good. Rounders came out 17 years ago, and the poker boom started 12 years ago, and they have not made one good poker movie since then. There's been a lot of them, but they all suck. They all suck. They they all range from horrible to fairly bad. Like I I can't even say there was a poker movie other than Rounders that's like okay since 98. So here's the trailer for Cold Deck. It's only a minute long. It stars Paul Sorvino, Robert Nepper, he was in The Hunger Games, Mockingjay. And I guess uh the co-writer Stefano Gallo, or Gallo, J L L O, he's also in it, so I guess the co writer put himself in there. This is kind of an art house film. It is a real film. It's not like this. I I played the beginning of this crappy, I don't remember the name of it, some kind of awful poker web series that was really, really, really low budget. This is above that. This is actually going to be in a real theater. It's going to be at the Lemley Theater in Los Angeles, Lemley NoHo in, uh, I guess it's going to be Lemley NoHo 7 in Los Angeles on December 4th. However, you can get this on video on demand starting December 1st anywhere in the country. So this looks like it's a straight to video for the most part and it appears in one theater as well. And if it has Paul Sorvino in it and Robert Nepper, you know it's like not a nothing film, but it seems pretty low budget. And the chips they show are very cheap-looking chips, which always really bugs me. I hate when I see like dollar store chips in movies about poker, especially like in high-stakes games. They never use these type of chips. Like I'm talking about the chips you get in a chip set that you buy for twenty bucks, and you know they're really cheap, they're really light, they're really flimsy. They're crappy. They're they're not like the chips you have in real poker rooms. And that's always the type of chips you see in poker movies, which bugs me too. So those chips do appear here, and you can't see them when I play this trailer, but trust me, they do. And what bugs me, and what makes me think this movie's going to suck, is that again, instead of just being about poker, it becomes like a crime thriller, which always means it's going to be terrible. Like it—it it means that they're not creative enough to make a good film about poker, and have to build a crime thriller into it. And I use thriller very loosely. Here we go. I'm keeping my ears open. Perfect game and all that.
2: High stakes. Yeah, how big? 250k. 250.
0: Yeah. I'm not with these guys. Up. Oh, stop.
1: they meet there once a month you know that a couple of guys who go in there take the whole bundle not much trouble I'll give you a hundred grand
0: I'm trying to think myself. so so basically this young guy is getting staked a hundred grand to play in some high stakes poker game he's being staked by the Paul Sorvino character and then we start hearing about this player's financial problems I'm not trying to dive back in again these are like revenge guys Bobby okay they're soft they're a bunch of bankers right These creeps come into my house. (laughs) And then you add the fact they threatened my daughter.
5: This should help smooth things out considerably. There's a common-
0: So this is where I get confused. I have no idea what's going on here. You may think you have no idea. I'm watching it, I have no idea. Like I have no idea what happened to the plot here. Like I'm I'm kinda starting to follow that he's gonna enter a high-stakes game, some guy staking him, some older guy staking him. He's supposed to be playing against what he thinks are like bankers and lawyers, like not dangerous type criminals or whatever, just playing against guys with a lot of money. And then the game gets robbed in some way, and then it gets really confusing. And This new character appears. You have no idea who he is. And then it goes on from there.
5: Saying in poker, play the player, not the cards.
0: Oh boy, there's a saying in poker, play the player, not the cards. That's very, very, very cliche. You know, if that's in the movie, it's going to suck. Hello, Bobby. Uh,
5: Read him. Bluff him. Make him doubt his strength. I just don't know if I can trust you, Bobby. The trick is knowing when the other guy is doing the same.
1: Moment of truth, Bobby. You just step up and play the game and get out.
3: Molly.
0: (sighs) It finishes with... Who can tell? Yeah, it, it, it finishes before that little clip at the end. I'm all in. So every stupid poker cliches in this one, including a guy saying I'm all in. I don't even understand it. I I, I don't even understand what this movie is supposed to be about. If someone says, describe the plot of this movie, I would have a very hard time, which is unusual after watching a minute and 24-second trailer. Usually after watching a trailer for a minute 24 seconds, I can tell you in general what the movie is going to be about. This I cannot. This I can tell you. It's something about poker, something about guys beating up the protagonist, something about a robbery, something about the game not being what it appears to be, and that's about it. I can't even see how this is enticing anyone to want to watch it. And if they really want to do something like this, like a guy enters a poker game and it turns out he's being set up in some way, that shouldn't be too hard to make a trailer around, unless the movie is such a train wreck you can't even make a cohesive trailer. So I have to imagine this is going to suck. I don't know how they got Paul Sorvino to do this or Robert Nepper. I, I don't know how they got these guys to do it, but they did. And uh, I know I'm not going to buy this on December 1st, but maybe one of you can and tell me if it's any good. So that's coming out. I think I could write a better poker movie than pretty much every one of them except for rounders. I I think honestly if someone sat me down and said write a poker movie I think the only one that I probably could not beat is rounders. I think every other one of them I could beat. Because they're so terrible how could I not beat them? Like I, I, I would know what to avoid. I would know what not to do wrong. I could write a compelling enough story that isn't ridiculous so like I think I'd beat all the other ones yeah I guess there's Mississippi Grind also which I never ended up seeing it that one may not be bad either that one came out in uh, August I think it has okay reviews so maybe that's an okay movie too so that's not completely about poker. That's more of a gambling movie. It's, uh, the description is, down on his luck and facing financial hardship, Jerry teams up with younger charismatic poker player Curtis in an attempt to change his luck. The two set off on a road trip through the South with visions of winning back what's been lost. But then the even the poster for Mississippi Grind shows one of them throwing dice. So that's not poker. Someone's posting a a site to download the movie for free on the release date. I, I just have a feeling if I were to buy it on video on demand, that I'd be very sorry I bought it. I feel like I want to return it. I just think that trailer is very foretelling of what's likely to be a crappy movie now. I will tell you, the trailers don't always give you the whole story as far as whether the movie's going to be good or not. I've seen great trailers, and the movie sucks, and then I have seen lousy trailers of movies that I really enjoyed. Like, listen to this. I'm going to play you a trailer of a movie I'm sure you know and you probably liked. But I thought the trailer was pretty crappy, and I probably would not have had much desire to see this had I seen the trailer
2: this summer when you think vacation think National Lampoon's vacation see the real America hey underpants hey Yellow. It's friendly. I'm okay, I'm
5: okay. Don't you want to look at the Grand Canyon?
2: It's educational. Great. Right. And most of all, it's fun.
5: The dog went on the picnic basket.
2: <laughs> Let Chevy chase. Beverly D'Angelo.
5: Clark.
2: Imogene Coca. Randy Quaid John Candy and Christy Brinkley.
1: Well, are you going to go for it? This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy.
2: Take you for a ride. This summer, when you think vacation, think National Lampoon's. (laughs) Vacation.
0: So, I mean, looking at this now... This looks kind of stupid. National Laugh Vacation. I'm talking about the one from 1983, not the crappy remake from recently. But that was actually a very clever and funny and well-done movie. And the trailer just sucked. Now, I know some of the narration was kind of old-style, 70s, or early 80s narration that you never hear anymore today. So you have to forget about that part of it because they all sounded like that back in those days. But still, the trailer just wasn't good. The The scenes they chose to show were not even the better scenes of the movie. It just wasn't put together very well, the trailer. So, I was only 11 in 1983. In fact, I remember seeing this trailer, but it, I, I saw it differently as an 11-year-old than I would see it today. But like, uh, if you take me today and transport me 32 years back to 1983, and I see this trailer and, and forget... The movie I had actually seen, like don't have a memory of what this movie was, I I wouldn't want to see it. So sometimes the trailer can be bad and the movie's good and vice versa. But I don't think Cold Deck is going to do what National Lampoon's Vacation did and outperform its trailer. I think it's going to be as bad as the trailer. I have a feeling it's going to be a confusing mess, like the trailer is. Josie, who's really become active again on Poker Fraud Alert since appearing last week. I think she got inspired by her appearance on here last week, and she's been all over the site since then. But she just wrote in chat, Druff, please stop talking about trailers. It makes me feel inadequate. (laughs) And of course, Josie identified herself on the radio last week as trailer trash. She said that she is pretty trailer trash. I think those are her words. So basically, she has a high self-esteem when it comes to her looks, but uh, not that high of a self-esteem when it comes to uh, her background and lifestyle. Alrighty. There's a new Limit Hold'em poker bot at Caesars Properties. Right now, the only place I know it is for sure is at Harris, Las Vegas, but it may be elsewhere. And if it's not, it probably will be soon. I just heard about this poker bot today from uh, my forum when someone posted it over there. And they referred me to an article written by John Mahaffey, who runs uspoker.com. And I, I have a lot of respect from John for John Mahaffey. He writes good stuff. And he's a smart guy. And I knew that I would have a lot of respect for his analysis of the Limit Hold'em bot that is at Harris Las Vegas now you have to understand like I said at the beginning of the show this is not the same as the Texas Hold'em heads up bot that existed in Caesars properties and elsewhere starting from like early 2012 or maybe even before that maybe even 2011 actually I guess this article is saying 2010 well whatever This is from IGT, which is one of the biggest companies that make slot machines. They've been around forever. But IGT is the one who distributed Texas Hold'em heads up. But this is actually written by a different company. The game was invented and and created by a guy named uh, Michael Baker, who works for uh, a different company, which is called Forward Thinking Inc., I've never heard of them before. They've existed for seven years. And Michael Baker is the owner of this company. I have a feeling it's not a very big operation. He claims to be a poker player, but I don't know who he is. Anyway, this is an interesting game because you're not playing the computer heads up as you were on uh, Texas Hold'em Heads Up, where you're just basically playing limit hold'em heads up against a bot. And there's no rake, and whoever wins, wins. If you end up beating the bot, you win money. If it beats you, it you lose money. It's that simple. This is a six-handed game, again, of Limit Hold'em, where you're playing against five bots. And the bots are playing with house money. You're playing with your own money. And it's just like a Limit Hold'em cash game with a few variations, which I'll get into shortly. You can play 50 cent a dollar, Dollar $2, or $2, $4. Those are the only limits that are available for this game. That sounds pretty low, but it's not that low. It actually adds up pretty quickly. Now, first I want to give you the bad news. The rake for this game is pretty high. The rake for this game is not 3%, it's not 5%, it's not even 10%. It's not even 15%. It's not even 20%. The rake for this game is 25%? Yes. A 25% rake. Now, obviously, the bots don't pay rake because the bots are the house. So if the house is collecting the rake and the bots are also the house, then if they win, not only does it not matter which of the five bots wins because there's no chip stack. There's a, they have like an unlimited stack, which in limit hold'em doesn't really matter. That's why it's not a disadvantage for them to have that. But it doesn't matter which of the five bots wins. And it doesn't matter if they pay rake or not because it's just house money. But if you win, you pay 25% of the pot back to the machine, which is crazy. Now, you may say, why would anyone even consider this? 25% rake is just beyond horrendous. That's just, It's unbeatable. It's horrible. Well... John Mahaffey played this machine and he did come to realize some things that make the rake not as bad as it seems. I mean it is as bad as it seems, but uh first of all, it's a maximum rake. So uh what what happens is that uh it, it rakes uh nine units of whatever the game it, you're playing at up to 25% and then as a, you anyway know, it just hits the cap. So if, for example at uh, 50 cents a dollar uh it will rake uh up to uh it it'll rake up to 25% but it always rakes 9 units. But but no more than 25%, but it can also be less than that. So if the if the uh so the rake can can end up less than twenty five, but not substantially less. So, if uh, if the pot's really big, then it's not going to necessarily be twenty five percent. It'll just be nine units. So fifty cents a dollar. It's two twenty five is the max rake. That's two dollars twenty-five cents. At dollar two dollars, it's four dollars fifty cents, and at two dollars four dollar, it's a whopping rake of nine dollars. That is the maximum rake that uh, you'll end up paying. So if the pot's huge, you still won't pay more than nine dollars. For example, two dollar four dollar. I mean, how how huge can it be at two dollar four dollar limit? But I'm saying like if if the pot ends up eighty dollars, you're still only going to pay nine dollars, which is still more than ten percent, but you're not paying twenty-five percent. But the bottom line is uh, John Mahaffey analyzed his play on the machine and found that the rake was still around 20% when you add all that together. So with such a rake, with rake that was averaging near 20%, how could you possibly beat the game? Well, there's a few advantages the player has here. First of all, all the bots fold their hand face up during the hand. So if you think of a normal... Texas Hold'em game, limit or no limit, when people fold, you don't get to see what they had. Imagine playing a game where everybody who folds shows their hand to you. So for example, let's say you have pocket fours and someone in late position opens and you're about to hit that three bet button and three bet them with the pocket fours. And then you see that the guy right before you act folds seven, four offsuit. Well, there goes one of your fours. Now you don't want to play the pocket fours anymore because uh, your chance of hitting the set has just been cut by half. So now you would fold those fours, whereas before you would probably three-bet the fours. Uh, Also, as far as chasing straights and flushes, if you see that uh, the cards that you would need for your straight or flush, some of them are out already from people who have folded, you may not choose to chase them, or otherwise you usually have to. It's, a, it's very hard to fold a straight or flush draw, at least an open-ended straight or flush draw, in Limit Hold'em, even for a lot of action. So now you actually can if you see enough cards go out that uh, take away from your draw. So that's good. Even better is the fact that the players you face are awful. The bots are not bots who are playing... An optimal strategy. It's not like playing the Texas Hold'em heads-up bot, which was very sh- very skilled and very good. You're playing against five fish. You're playing against players, and when I say players, I mean bot players that will just chase everything. And it will sometimes pay off on the river with nonsensical hands. He even found that uh, one time he bet the river, and one of the bots called him with the worst possible hand. He once had a he once had a bot call him with five high. With a two and three on the board. So the board was like... Two, three... Nine, king, ace... And a bot called him with four, five. The very worst possible hand. Known as the nut low. That doesn't happen all the time. But uh, he even saw that occur. Where the, the bot called with... Just basically to give away money. <laughs> uh, they also will chase... Any kind of... Backdro- backdoor draw... No matter how ridiculous... So let's say the bot had jack-eight offsuit with the eight of spades. And let's say the board is uh, ace of spades, king of spades, two of clubs. And they have jack-eight with the eight of spades. So that's that's a horrible hand, jack-eight in that spot. But the bot would actually call this down because the eight of spades could make a one-card flush and the jack could make a one-card straight with runner-runner card. So as you can imagine, these players are t- horrible and they're calling and chasing everything. So you're going to have a, a lot of these bots calling you all the way down to the end. You can't bluff them. They call so much, bluffing is never worth it, according to John Mahaffey, and I believe him. In general, it's hard to bluff bots and, and limit hold them when you're playing a bot, but here it's like impossible. And also, when the pot gets repeatedly raised, especially pre-flop, that usually means the bot is very strong. So if it's going to be capped before the flop, you're almost always against kings or aces, which is a big tell. Uh, The bots don't raise very much before the flop period. They like to just uh, get in cheaply and chase. So if they're re-raising you, they probably have an excellent hand. And after the flop, if you're being raised a lot, they tend to have a very strong hand. So these are bad players. They're, they're pretty easy to read. They will chase, chase, chase awful you know, tiny draws or draws that are even ones that are not even likely to be good if they get there. They'll occasionally call you down with a nut low. So you're going to be much, much better than all five bots playing against you on this machine. Much better. If you're a semi-competent limit hold'em player. You don't have to be a great player. You have to just be an okay limit hold'em player. You'll be way better than any of those bots. But, remember the 25% rake. Even if you want to say 20% when you average it out, that's still a horrible, horrible rake. Plus, you lose if you just don't run well. And the bots suck out on you. You can lose that way too. So can you beat the bots and that horrible rake? John Mahaffey has decided probably not. He's not convinced, but he thinks probably not. That the rake's just too damn high, you just can't beat it even with how bad these bots were. So if you're going to play the game for fun, then go ahead. If you're going to play it to win money, it's probably not going to be something you're going to be able to do because of the rake. Now, if there was no rake on this thing or a reasonable rake, you would kill it. But of course, they wouldn't present this machine in this state to players if it was this easy to beat. Then there would be a, a line miles long to play the thing. In fact, I would be there right now playing it. John Mahaffey also came up with a theory which I think is a decent theory that believe it or not, the high rake and the bad bot play are related. That is, since these bots are all playing with the same money, the house money, and since the rake is also house money, with a 25% rake, it means that If you have three opponents in the hand with you, one is basically able to draw for free against you. If you think about it. Because with four players in the hand, with a 25% rake, that means that uh, a quarter of the pot is going to go back to the house. And a quarter of the pot would be the amount that one player would put in if there's a four-way pot. So it's basically giving these bots a way to you know, one of them gets the, a free pass to draw out on you, and if they're, su- they're successful, then they win the pot instead of you, and you lose the whole thing. So, with, uh, with two bots in the hand and a human player, one more bot chasing is basically negligible. And then they get rewarded if they hit a miracle hand on you. So that, that's a big problem. That's a big problem is that uh, this basically creates a situation where the bots with the rake being so high that the a third bot to come in there and chase you down with a bad hand actually makes it uh, just a free way to chase you down. So I don't know. Uh there's also a weirdness here where there's no big or small blind and they do that on purpose so the blinds cannot be exploited. So this way there's not a natural time to quit or restart. So you're you're actually anteing two units every time. Every player's antiing two units. There's a button that moves around, but there's no blinds. Which means you, you can actually check because everybody anties at the beginning, which Limit Holdem normally doesn't have and then nobody's bet yet. So you can actually check pre-flop, which you can never do otherwise in Limit Hold'em. Or no Limit. You can Any kind of Hold'em, you cannot check pre-flop unless you've, you're one of the blinds. But like it's kind of weird like in, as a non-blind hand, and in this there's no blinds, you, you can just check pre-flop. So it could actually check around pre-flop. In fact, the bots will do that because the bots uh, are programmed to play pre-flop pretty passively so I, I'm going to give it a try uh, I think it'll be fun I think it'll be interesting since it's not really high stakes I'm not going to win or lose a whole lot of money so it's it's worth it for me to just give this thing a shot I think it's possible that there could be exploitable elements of these bots John Mahaffey already noticed some of them to where maybe 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 they're so bad you can actually overcome that horrible rake but I still don't think so but if you're ever going to be able to exploit it and beat the game it's going to be now it's not going to be a year from now it's not going to be six months from now because if the game starts to lose if there's too many people beating it they're going to upgrade it in fact they're going to upgrade it anyway they upgraded the Texas Hold'em heads up bot several times to where it became really 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 tough and exploits that were there to where you could beat the bot with some mistakes it was making those mistakes went away So what if you want to use this thing to earn total reward status? What if you want to get to Diamond, which is the second highest tier level, or Seven Stars, which is the highest one? What if you want to do that and use this machine to get there? Is this a better option for you than playing video poker? And can you get there quicker than playing video poker? The answer is, number one, I don't know if it's a better option or worse. I think it's worse, but I'll see. And number two, I think it's going to take you about the same time, provided you play the maximum level of $2, $4. And I'll explain. And this is where John Mahaffey gets a few things incorrect. He, he doesn't seem to know the total rewards program very well. And nor do some people posting the 2 plus 2 thread that's discussing this. But I know the total rewards program very well. So let me tell you, if you want to play this thing and earn total reward status, how you do it. Uh, first of all, you need to keep in mind what you're shooting for are either 2,500 or 5,000 tier credits in a day. A day is usually from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. So a a total rewards day doesn't start at midnight like a regular day does. It starts at 6, and it ends at 5.59, actually, not 6. So uh, that's the time you have to keep in mind. And when I say... 5,000 or 2,500 tier credits earned in a day, I mean in that time period between 6 a.m. and 5,59 a.m. the next day, you need to earn either exactly 2,500 tier credits or exactly 5,000 tier credits. Now, if you go a tiny bit over, 2,501, 5,001, you know, that's not a big deal. But you don't want to play much more over 2,500 or much more over 5,000 or you're not playing optimally. If you do this, they give you a bonus, which is basically tripling what you earned in tier credits. So if you earn 2,500 tier credits, they give you 2,500 bonus credits. Then if you keep playing, you don't get any more bonus credits, but once you reach 5,000, then you get another 5,000 bonus tier credits again. So basically, if you earn exactly 2,500 tier credits, you end up with 7,500 tier credits for the day. If you earn 5,000 for the day, you end up with 15,000. 15,000, by the way, is what you need to be diamond. So You just do this one day. You play 5,000 tier credits in one day between 6 a.m. and 5.59 a.m. And you'll get to be diamond in a day. Seven stars is 10 times that. That requires 150,000 tier credits. So you'll need to do this on 10 different days. Do not ever play anything different than 2,500 tier credits or 5,000 tier credits or you're not doing it optimally because then you're not going to get the bonuses. And the bonuses is what makes it so much faster. That's what allows you to basically earn 150,000 tier credits in what would normally be 50,000. Now, how, how fast do you earn tier credits on this machine? Well, you earn one tier credit on this machine for every $10 you bet. And when I say bet, I mean for every bet you place during the hand. So let's take the $2, $4 game, okay? Let's say you raise preflop, so that's $4 right there then you, someone bets into you on the flop and you raise again. That becomes another $4. Now the turn, it it becomes doubled, so the turn each bet is a multiple of four. So you've you've already put $8 in. On the turn, you bet and they call. So that makes it $12 you have bet. And on the river, you bet again and they call. That means you have bet $16. The size of the pot doesn't matter. The amount you have put in to the pot is $16 here. For this, you would earn 1.6 tier credits. And yes, it does have fractional tier credits. You won't see them in your total, but then uh, the next hand, if you only were to earn 0.4 tier credit, you'd get another one if you had 1.6 already. So that's how it works. For every $10 you wager, you get one tier credit. So to earn 5,000 tier credits in a day, you would need to wager... $50,000 Fifty thousand dollars at the two fourth machine, which sounds crazy, but it goes very fast. Limit hold'em goes very fast because there's no there's no tanking. You're you're playing against bots, so they're uh, they're acting super quickly. There's actually a button to finish off the hand if you've already folded because you don't really care who wins. You can watch them play each other, but there's no point. So if you have already folded, you can press a button called End Hand and it starts a new hand. So you can speed through it that way. John Mahaffey figured out that at the highest game, 2-4, most players can probably cycle through about $10,000 worth of action in an hour, which means it would take about five hours to cycle through 50,000, which is required for the 5,000 tier credits, which would then get you the 10,000 bonus tier credits, which would then earn you diamonds right there. And when you have diamond status, you have diamond for the entire rest of the calendar year, plus the whole next calendar year, plus three months of the following calendar year. So if you earn diamond today, November 19th, you would have it until March 31st, 2017. But let's say you earn diamond on January 1st. Well, then you'd have it until March 31st, 2018. So you may want to keep that in mind if you're going to try to earn a status. Maybe you should wait till January 1st where you'll get a whole additional year. And when I say you'll have it until then, I really mean you don't have to play anything again and you will have that status all the way up until that date. So if you earn this on January 1st, 2016, you'll have it until March 31st, 2018, unless they change something. So the worst time to earn Diamond or Seven Star is at the end of the year because you don't get as much time out of it. But you may want to do it anyway because maybe they're going to change this tier credit per $10 wager. They could change it to something much higher. They could even take away the comps completely. Now tier credits don't earn you any comps actually. That's just determining your status. The comps come from what are known as reward credits which give you one penny of comp power per reward credit earned you earn a reward credit on this machine at the same rate you earn tier credits except there's no bonuses involved so if you run fifty thousand dollars through the machine you will earn five thousand reward credits which is worth a whopping fifty dollars so that's not very much you're gonna it'll add up if you do enough of it but don't play this for the comps because you're not going to get much uh, there's some people are saying maybe you should play this and just forget about the reward credits, but you'll get a lot of nice offers in the in the mail for f- hotel rooms, for free play, for food. Probably not. Caesar's has cut way back on this. You're going to probably get crappy offers unless you have a new Total Rewards card. Then you'll probably get some good offers. So if you don't have a Total Rewards card yet at all, this is a good time to get one and try playing this. But if you already have one, you're not going to get that great as far as offers are concerned. But again. You're more likely to get better stuff now as opposed to later when they may adjust this. They adjusted the Texas Hold'em heads up bot in 2012 and then again in 2013 to where you don't earn as many tier credits or reward credits for playing it before taking it out entirely. So I'm not sure where you can find it right now besides Harris Las Vegas. But it's worth giving a shot If you have any kind of competency At Limit Hold'em And remember if you play it Don't play it the same way You'd play human players In Limit Hold'em Make sure you read John Mahaffey's article On USPoker.com Regarding Limit Hold'em Six Max bot He's already done a lot of research on it It'll help you a lot with how to play And I'm definitely going to review this Before I play Uh, Matt the Rat Hello Hey how's it going Alright so what's going on Matt?
3: Um you were just talking about uh, comps and stuff in the last I would probably say 5 months I have literally received about 50 to 60 different uh offers of they're going to fly me down free hotels Britney show and all that crap so I I don't know it seems like I and I'm
0: getting it by email so I'm getting just tons of offers well, th- yeah, this can happen. This is from the marketing department at Caesars. This is not the same as when hosts comp you. This is the marketing department. And, uh, yeah, sometimes these can start up out of nowhere. I know you're out of market where you live. You're pretty far away in, in B.C. Yeah. So that's why there's they may, for whatever reason, it's determined that they want your action again. Now, now what kind of cash offers, not cash, but like free play offers are you getting?
3: Um, well, they say $400, but what it is is $200 of play on like one trip and 200 for the next trip. Okay, so that's really too much. See, that's not that wonderful.
0: But,
3: yeah, but I mean, it is. Now, it's it's kind of funny cuz um I I've been diamond for a few years now and I I get the five free days. So, but they're saying, "Oh, we'll comp you here and here, but they you know, they're offering more stuff. They even sent me an email or some guy sent me an email that he's, "Oh, I'm your executive host." Now, I haven't contacted him. I don't know if it's worth it because I don't want to go down there one time and play a few poker tournaments and not hit the tables. And then they're like, they're watching my action. And it's like, well, we're sending this guy all these free offers and he's not really playing. The, much. the host
0: is not going to impact your offers. He doesn't have that power. It's the computer that decides that. But at the same time, it's not bad to avoid the host because they, they still get on your back to play. And they, and if you ever need them to help you for something, they get pissed. I was discussing this on another forum, uh, actually earlier today that hosts, Uh, if they give you things like hotel rooms and I'm not not talking about you responding to offers I'm talking about them out of their own comp pool giving you uh, uh, hotel rooms or or food or whatever Uh, they expect you to play to kind of earn this for them and and when I say play I mean now play not play last trip I mean play whenever you're getting the stuff so if you don't this hurts their commission and they get pissed and then if you want a favor from them in the future, they get difficult with you. So it is better to just book yourself on things. If you don't really, if you don't really need to host's help, you, you shouldn't be getting his help because the, uh, uh, if, if you can book through the 800 number or just by re- redeeming an offer and then just redeeming what they've given you, you might as well just do that instead of bothering a host unless you're a very high-level player who's generating so much action that the host can give you a lot more than the marketing computer would. So,
3: that's Yeah, I am going to avoid I'm going to avoid that. Yeah, host. I don't I don't
0: bl- I don't blame you either. I it's, I
3: It's um I uh yeah, but I am getting a I just I'd let you know, I'm getting a ton of offers compared to years past for about the same level of play.
0: Yeah, for you know, once in a while the computer just decides it wants you back through some kind of formula, maybe uh based upon the frequency of you coming, it decides that maybe it can entice you to come more or or it's decided based upon something you did that you're a worse player than you really are. I've seen a lot of these things before where it just inexplicably offers people a lot of stuff in a short period of time and then then it goes quiet again. So you never know. There's some things I can't figure out that the marketing computer does. But this this is all being done by computer. No human being is making these offers.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I just, um, I'm trying to avoid... I, I don't know. I just I don't want to go down there just for the sake of going down because I got a free offer because I can get that anyway. So the only the only difference now is they're willing to pay my airfare with you know another person too, which I've never had before.
0: Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's I mean that's good. But but again, like you do have to think of the factor of how much are you getting out of it. If you're getting a two hundred dollars free play and you're going through all the trouble of, of flying from BC down to Vegas, you don't want to just go for the free play. Two hundred dollars is isn't oh. worth making the whole trip just for 200 bucks free flight.
3: it's actually it's actually from a, a a town called bellingham it's about 30 minutes across the border which oh, i is, know where that is Yeah, is, yeah it's where I usually where i usually fly out of because it's about half the price of vancouver hmm. it's a shitty little airport but still um yeah I, I just found that interesting that now they're willing to pay for the flight but i just uh, i don't know i just don't want to do anything and then bring attention if i go down there and don't spend money
2: yeah,
0: and and, it will, and that's the other thing is it will the, the thing you're more in danger of is if you redeem an offer and then you just use the offer and don't play, then it, it it'll probably kill the offers for you in the future. It'll take a few months, but it'll happen.
3: Yeah, I, I usually like a lot of people go down for the World Series. Maybe every other three years I'll go down like a second time. But then when I'm down there for the World Series, obviously you don't earn crap playing poker. Yeah, so you don't. usually I. Like I'll play craps or blackjack, and then uh, I I I don't purposely try to set out to get diamond, but I just kind of play enough that by about the sixth day or whatever, I kind of check and they go, oh yeah, you just earned diamond. So yeah, so it's kind of always nice because then
0: then you get some free stuff. So what I want to say to you also here is that uh, when first of all, your diamond is not related to the offers you're getting. That's totally separate. The, the diamond is only about the benefit the guaranteed benefits, like the lines you can cut into and stuff like that by being a diamond. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the offers you receive uh, second, if you want to exploit offers that are given to you given to you like when you get a whole lot of good offers, the time to do it is when you think you can come a whole lot of consecutive times in a short time and exploit a lot of these together before it realizes that you 're just like redeeming them and not playing but it 's a lot harder when you 're far away like when you're when you 're in a drivable distance. Then you can say, "Okay, I'm just going to make like trips to Vegas several times or trips down to the Harris Rincon if you live in l a like a whole bunch of times and use these offers before the computer realizes that that's all I'm doing, and it's not going to cut my offers for a few months because it's always slow on this, so I'll have hit it for like thousands of dollars in free play before it it realizes this and I know someone who did this in fact last year and was very successful with you know they got uh, uh, they redeemed over two thousand dollars worth of offers and, and some other stuff as well on top of it. Uh, and then just didn't play a dime, and they're not getting anything now. But they just figured, I'm, I'm going to hit all this all at once before it realizes I'm not playing anymore. Uh, but if you just make an odd trip here and there and don't play, then it's going to stop this. So you may, you you probably are wise to wait for a time when you're going to, you know, maybe be there anyway or can redeem more more of this than normally you could, uh, and especially to make a whole trip down just for a $200 free play when you have to fly, I, I, I just think it's too much of a pain in the ass. So
3: yeah. Okay, thanks. All right, thanks, All right. Matt.
0: So I apologize for those of you that find the Total Rewards talk boring. But I know some of you find this part of the show interesting because you, you learn things about the way the system works. And, you know, I get people texting me sometimes with questions about the Total reward system. You can always feel free to do that. I've I've answered questions from people before on text, not during the show, but after the show. And it's a system that's not always that straightforward. This is a text from the 480 area code. Todd, this is FTP Jesus. He's a user in the forum. I talked to my cousin about the Marriott Starwood merger. As suspected, they've been told that it does seem Marriott will be the resulting end product. It's the feeling is, it's better known worldwide than Starwood. Things could still change in the end, but it's unlikely. He's referring to the... Marriott Starwood hotel merger Which was announced uh, earlier this week This from Mumbles badly Listening on the call in phone line Quality is good He's talking about listening on 712-775-8162 So this is an interesting scam That I mean it's inter- it was pretty bad And pretty offensive what these guys did But in one way I guess you could at least Be impressive with the You can be impressed with how effective they were and the really tough things they pulled off there is an Israeli trio two of whom have been arrested actually back in July but the full details of this are just coming out now that's why it's a story now versus five months ago one still on the run and this is a scam involving a lot of facets hacking online gambling fraud Securities fraud, all kinds of stuff. So here's what happened. This is it hasn't been reported very much. There is a story about it on Fleshdraw.net by Haley Hintz. That's where I heard about it. But it's a very interesting story, especially if you're interested in this sort of thing, with these very brash and greedy scammers and the type of stuff they pull. There's a company that is called Affactive and Revenue Jet. Yes, Effective. A-F-F-A-C-T-I-V-E and Revenue Jet. J-E-T. A really weird company name. No idea what that's supposed to mean. Effective and Revenue Jet. And this, the three guys behind this are named Jerry Shalon Joshua Samuel Aaron, and Ziv Orenstein. So yes, fellow Jews who are scamming people. So these are not uh, fine representatives of my religion or culture. But still, uh, these three Israelis, they actually are from Israel, they did a lot of bad things. These were all financial type scams. You know, there were scams they did here. There's not... uh, Organized crime or violence first of all, they hacked financial data and consumer info files from JP Morgan Chase. they also uh, ran various phony online compu- uh, online gambling sites where they never paid out. you just deposit and they never pay when you won and uh they also were using tactics to basically crash Google's search algorithm to uh force competitors off of their search results so they they were the ones getting top search results and uh roping in a lot of players now what was the purpose of hacking JP Morgan Chase well what they did is they were looking for information on their clientele. They stole hundreds of millions of user accounts data. And then they figured out from that data and having all the contact info of the people using uh, J.P. Morgan's products. And uh, it turned out they went after other uh, financial institutions and brokerages. They went after TD Ameritrade, Scottrade, E-Trade, Fidelity, and others. They would open an account with the online online brokerage. Then they would uh, analyze it, and then they'd hack the company. It's amazing they were able to hack all these different companies. I didn't think there was that much vulnerability, but apparently there was. They got in. They got all the data, and then they analyzed that data to see who they should scam. Basically, uh, what type of trades people were making, uh, what type you know how much money they had uh, how likely were they to fall for these scams based upon the type of stocks they were investing in, and they, they were very good at it, so they would then spam people to get involved in these penny stock scams that they were pushing known as pump and dump scams, and they were spamming them in relentless fashion and uh, a lot of people were were signing up for this, especially because they were targeting the ones they thought were most vulnerable from analyzing customer data from these uh, stock brokerages. Not only did they make a lot of money from that, but as I said, they ran a lot of online casinos that didn't pay. These were known as the Netad Management Casinos. That's N-E-T-A-D. This includes Wind Palace Casino, Casino Titan, Slots Jungle Casino, Jackpot Grand Casino, Golden Cherry Casino, Slots of Fortune, Bigado Casino, Grand Macau Casino, Grand Macau Live Dealer Casino, and Wind Palace Play. They had 10 different casino sites. And uh, they just took people's money and did not pay them. So that was going on. They also ran a Bitcoin exchange. Coin.mx So they had a a, it was a Mexican domain Coin.mx They and they also operated a payment processing service for illegal pharmaceutical providers. So uh, if you wanted to buy pharmacy products from foreign countries or from anyone else who shouldn't be selling them to US citizens and you want to make payments, the payment processing was done in many cases by these guys and their payment processing operation. They also were distributing malware and counterfeit software. I'm not sure what the malware was doing. Maybe it was harvesting more information Maybe it was that scam where it says there's something wrong with your computer and you're supposed to call some 800 number to get, quote, technical support to clear it up. And in reality, they're just scamming you and they're creating the problem that they're fixing. But they were doing that as well. It turns out that this entire scam, well, I'm not even sure how much it was, but that uh, Shalon, remember the first co-conspirator here, the... Jerry Shalon is his name. He himself made out with...
1: One million dollars.
0: Times 100. He made $100 million. And that money is now in Swiss bank accounts. And they cannot find it or access it. So even though... This whole thing has been ended... Shalon has been arrested. Orenstein has been arrested. Aaron is hiding in Russia, apparently. And they think a lot of this was being done from Russia. These guys were Israelis, but they were uh, doing a lot of this in Russia. The victims were Americans, as you might guess, because they were uh, hacking those brokerage accounts belonging to Americans. Israel is going to be extraditing Shalon and Orenstein to the United States to face charges. Again, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York is involved here, led by Preet Bara, and they are going to be facing 23 felony charges money laundering conspiracy, unlawful internet gambling, unlawful payment processing, computer hacking, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, document fraud, aggravated identity theft, and other charges. They were also doing DDOS attacks against competitors. Apparently anybody who reported on what these guys were doing anybody who's reporting the scams that were being run on their online casinos were being ddos I am glad that Poker Fraud Alert never covered what they were doing with those casinos because you may not be able to hear this show if that were the case because they were, well, I guess you could now because they're in prison, but they were hammering sites with DDoS attacks so people could not read the posts about what they were doing. Any site that was attempting to expose what they were doing was getting ddos Something else they did was they were hacking WordPress blogs and they were uh, overloading Google search algorithms in some way and directing a lot of the search traffic to their sites. So that was the way of moving up on Google they would hack WordPress blogs and uh, insert scripts into them to screw up the Google search algorithms and that, that's pretty impressive I don't even know that could be done I don't even know specifically what they did but that's the accusation that they somehow overloaded Google search algorithms and this ended up directing the traffic over to their site they, they moved their Google rank way up so I have to imagine these guys are going to be getting a long time in prison but what's disturbing is the money that was stolen here is not accessible. I don't think they've been able to recover it. I think it's hidden in Swiss bank accounts and elsewhere that the U.S. can't really touch. So it's also been alleged that they owned or controlled 75 different shell companies, traveled under different names. They had 30 phony passports between them, these three guys. Of those 30 passports, 16 of them are from different countries. It's amazing these guys even got caught. So they, they really had their hand in everything. Let me tell you in general... You should never, ever, ever play or sports bet on small casino or sportsbook sites because you'll run into stuff like this. They're, it, it is so easy to throw up computer soft, throw up uh, casino software and the site can look really legitimate and make all these claims about how reliable they are. But most of them don't ever pay you. Most of them are scams. You really should just avoid playing online casinos because they're probably cheating you anyway, even if they're going to pay. But if you're going to play one, make sure you're going to play on a large site where you at least know they will pay you, like Bovada. Don't ever play on the Wind Palace Casino or Casino Titan, Slot Jungle Casino. Grand Macau Casino. And don't don't ever be fooled by the names that can sound like they're affiliated with something that's familiar, like the Grand Macau Casino. You you play on that, you you figure you're playing in the online version of a major casino of Macau, but you're not. It's just a casino that Israeli guys made up and called it the Grand Macau Casino, since Macau is associated with gambling. So. Stay away from those small sites like that. From the 410 area, I got texted, where the fuck is Brandon? I don't know. He's just not here. From the 412, hey, Druff, new to the Las Vegas Strip, what strip club gives you the biggest bang for a buck? I wonder if he means that literally or figuratively or perhaps both. (laughs) Would love a few of your tips. And then he also... Texted what about clue is that Safe I don't know what clue is What about my Vegas Slots my Vegas slots is different that's like That's not an actual casino Right that's like some kind of Game for play money That you earn things Uh, What strip club gives you the biggest bang for your Buck I don't go to strip clubs But if, if you want the cheap strip Clubs you have to Go to the ghetto there's ones that have like the 10 dollar lap dances at least last i heard uh there's some real there's like a line of cheap ghetto strip clubs that are located between the stratosphere and downtown and and some other located in, in ghettos of las vegas where you'll get similar type deals so you're not going to run into the hottest women there you're going to it'd be kind of hit and miss with the women you find at these clubs and the clientele is kind of sleazy and the, the bouncers are sleazy and the whole, the whole place is sleazy and you're going to feel like you're going to get mugged on the way out. Even if you don't like you, it's, it's not a, a great experience to go to these places, but if you want to save money and get the most for your dollar, then that's where to go. As I said, you're not going to get the hottest girls, at those type of clubs you're going it's going to range between fairly unattractive girls all the way up to decent looking but not like super hot chicks the, the really really hot strippers are going to be at the big clubs the expensive big ones the the little cheap ones the quality of of women is worse but it's not to say they're all ugly like you you'll you'll find some attractive girls at these uh, smaller strip clubs but you know they'll some of them will kind of have a ghetto quality to them too if you want to interact with strippers who are like way hotter than any girl you've ever dated you're going to have to go to those bigger more expensive clubs but i'm not an expert on this i'm not and i'm not pretending not to be like if i if i did have expertise in this i would give it to you i i'm just telling you from uh, what i've learned from observations and conversations i've had with people and from living in vegas all those years i've been to very few strip clubs in my life and when I have been I really haven't done very much and I'm telling the truth I really haven't like I I promise you I've never gotten a, a blowjob in the back of a strip club or uh, anything like that uh, this person's asking more or less hookers well not necessarily I mean yes there's a crossover there's definitely a crossover at these strip clubs where some of them are kind of just glorified hookers. But it depends. It varies from girl to girl. There's even clubs where some of the girls act as hookers and will do anything and other ones won't do any more than give you a lap dance. You have to kind of just feel it out literally and figuratively if that's what you're into. Uh, You also have to think about what your goal is here when you go to a strip club. Uh, if, If it really is to have some kind of sexual interaction if you want to have a blowjob or have sex with you, know, you. might as well just get a prostitute, honestly. And you'll probably get away cheaper. Not that it's cheap in Vegas to get a prostitute, but the strip clubs, it adds up very quickly. Especially if you want them to do more. Now, as I said, the ghetto ones, you can probably get it done pretty cheaply. But it varies from girl to girl. Uh, I don't know what the best ones in Vegas are, but I'm just talking about all the high end ones, all the ones that you've probably heard about. Those are the bigger ones. Basically, if you've heard of it, if it's a known trip club in Vegas, then it's, that's what I mean by one of the better ones. If it's a, if it's some off out of the way one in the ghetto, that's what I'm saying is the cheaper one. Let's uh, go to the final topic in our gambling agenda. Pennsylvania might be the next state to legalize online gambling. It might be the fourth state to legalize online gambling in the U.S. It's actually pretty big news. It may not happen, but it's starting to look good. And I'll tell you what it is that looks good. There is a bill called uh, HB 649 that has been approved by the House of Representatives Gaming Oversight Committee in Pennsylvania. Uh, It was the subject of several hearings before it passed today. It's not the same HB 649 that was being discussed earlier this year. This is a new bill, even though it's the same name. And uh, it's going to move to the main floor of the Pennsylvania House and if it passes a full vote there then uh, you have to go through the Pennsylvania Senate and then the governor, Tom Wolf would have to decide whether he wants to sign it into law. It could also be incorporated into the state's omnibus budget for 2016 and uh, that's another way it can end up getting through even if it doesn't do everything I just described about the Senate and the governor it does seem to be on the way to legalization it does seem like there's enough support to where it probably will get through but it's not a sure thing not even close to a sure thing yet but it's looking good at the moment this would authorize the 12 existing land-based casinos in Pennsylvania to offer online gambling, poker is one of those forms, and uh you know there will be uh, casino gambling as well. There will not be sports betting. don't hope for that it's not going to happen. Sheldon Adelson is attempting to fight this. he's already hired several lobbyists to work against h b six forty nine apparently. His lobbyists were mailing false research claims to alter public opinion. That they supposedly did research and came to the conclusion that this is going to hurt Pennsylvania. There really wasn't real research. They're just trying to get the public pissed off and demand that HB 649 does not pass. Adelson may continue to fight this Even though it has passed the house already Because it's not fully through But uh, this does have to be seen as a defeat For his efforts to some degree The PPA, the Poker's Players Alliance Has once again taken credit For something I don't know how much they had a part in Probably not that much But they love to always take credit for these things They issued a brief congratulatory, congratulatory statement And uh, this is what John Pappas said. With the passage of HB 649, the House Gaming Oversight Committee has proven their commitment to providing Pennsylvania residents with a safe and regulated place to play online poker within their own borders. The PPA thanks Chairman John Payne and the committee for their leadership. Now this bill needs to become law. The safety of consumers and the fiscal health of Pennsylvania will be vastly improved when internet gaming is appropriately licensed, regulated, and taxed. It is our hope that the legislation will be enacted on its own or in part of the state's 2016 budget by the end of this year. So some of this is BS. Uh, I, I don't think this is going to do all that much as far as uh, the fiscal health of Pennsylvania. It's Pennsylvania is a very large state and I don't think this is going to make a huge dent in their budget but it's better than nothing. And of course, Online gambling is better if it's protected by regulation. They haven't done regulation all that well so far in the uh, existing states, but it's still preferable to those sites that regulate themselves and can do what they want and cheat you when they want. So I'm sure the PPA will be bragging about this and their, quote, victory here. Uh, there's no dates have been set yet for the further movement of this bill. But it did pass that, that committee. It did pass the uh, Gaming Oversight Committee. It hasn't even passed the full House yet, I guess. It's uh, It still has to get to the main floor of the Pennsylvania House. So it's an important first step still got a while to go there do not seem to be any really strong opposing forces at the moment that are seen likely to derail it but at the same time this is not a slam dunk so we will see 775 fraud 557753728355 Anchor Draw is saying regulated and making it a felony if pen players play on Bovada or any other unregulated site. I don't know if that's part of it, but if it is, that's pretty bad. They should never, never go after the players who are playing on unregulated sites. They should go after the sites themselves. They should never go after the players. I hope that's not part of it. Uh, if that's true, that's a pretty bad bill. So the final gambling... Sorry, we've already done the final gambling topic. The the next topic we're going to get to is a general topic. And that is about the Paris terrorism and the Syrian refugees. Now, we all know about what happened in Paris. It's a tragedy. Uh, It's less than a year after the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Also in Paris. There's been some analysis about what happened. How did this occur just 10 months after the last round of attacks in Paris by terrorists? And it was found, and there were a lot of people who were disappointed with the fact that some of these terrorists who were involved in this were already – the government was, was aware of them already. The French government was aware that some of these people who did this were radicalized and had ties with terror groups. And in fact, that some had been going to Syria to train for terror. They were aware of some of these people and somehow they got back into France and committed these heinous crimes. It's one thing if guys just kind of show up out of nowhere and do these things. People you didn't suspect before just appear out of nowhere and commit these acts and somehow the government never got wind of it until it was too late. That will happen sometimes. But what bothered a lot of people in France was that there were intelligent failures that just let these guys get back into the country after they left to go do terrorist training. They were on the government's radar and somehow they got back in and did this anyway. So one of the theories, it hasn't been proven yet, but one of the theories as to how these terrorists got from Belgium where this plan was hatched into Paris where they were already known, where they would have never been let into Paris from Belgium as themselves, and there was no record of these guys traveling back into Paris even though they were obviously there because they committed these uh, murders and then were uh, killed themselves. So, it has been theorized that they got back into Paris using false passports. And it has been further theorized, and this is not like a crackpot conspiracy theory, I mean this is the prevailing theory at the moment by those analyzing the situation in France, that the terrorists who committed these acts, at least some of them, got back into France using phony passports that they used to claim to be refugees. So, that's pretty bad news. That the situation in Syria and the country's accepting refugees now the, the refugees the refugee story is being used for terrorists to sneak into the country and commit acts like this again this is not crackpot theory this is the prevailing theory right now for how these known terrorists got back into France to commit these acts was using false passports and claiming to be refugees So, that is uh, disturbing. Here's an article from CNN from November 15th, four days ago. Sorry about that. I I hate the autoplay on CNN. I hate it. So... Let me get to the part of this article. It's the relevant part. One of the bombers falsely declared himself to be a Syrian named Ahmad al-Muhammad and and was allowed to enter Greece on October 3rd. From there he moved on to Macedonia then Serbia and Croatia where he registered in the Optovac refugee camp then he made his way to Paris and he's one of these guys who uh, blew themselves up at the stadium and the fingerprints on the passport he used the phony passport matched those of the suicide bomber the fingerprint was not in their database So uh, he actually got in by by claiming to be a refugee. But that's not not even as bad as the other stories that uh, haven't been verified yet, that the guys who were known to the French government got back into Paris using false passports and uh, pretending to be refugees. So I think this is opening up too much of a vulnerability. Now, I realize that there's many refugees who are definitely not threatening. Little kids, uh, widows, especially mothers of these little kids. Now, there are female terrorists. There was a female terrorist who blew herself up recently after these attacks when they tracked her and her boyfriend, who was seen as the ringleader of this whole thing down and, uh, and she blew herself up inside of a building and made the, the floor collapse but I think if you take in a big group of women and their children who are under 12 or, or even orphans who are under 12 I think that will be fine I don't see these people turning into terrorists once they're on US soil What I'm concerned about is allowing existing terrorists to get into the country who claim they are Syrian refugees. And this includes teenage boys because there's, there's plenty of teenage boys who are already radicalized in Syria who are all ready to engage in terrorism. So you can call a 16-year-old boy a child but as far as uh, terror threats, he's not. As far as terror threats are concerned, he's a man. I'm not afraid of little kids, but but teenagers, yes. But especially not adult men. There's just too much of a risk. You just don't know who is who. You don't know which is which. Part of the reason we have not had an organized terror attack in the United States in 14 years, since September 11th, is because there has been very strict control of who gets in this country especially from areas where terrorists are likely to be. So, someone with a Middle Eastern background shows up and wants to come in the US, we don't just let them in because they claim they're a refugee. Like, you, know, you there's uh there's strict control of who they are, where they came from, what their situation was. But with these Syrian refugees, they're in such mass number. There's so many of them it's It's gonna be too hard to vet all of them, and you're just gonna have to let mass numbers through without investigating too much as to who they are. You can't just separate them. you can't say we're gonna take the good ones and not the bad ones. You can't say we're gonna take the legitimate refugees and not the terrorists. You can't say that you can't tell which is which, and the last thing this country needs. is an import of existing terrorists because that's the reason there has not been any organized terrorist attack in the United States in 14 years. It's not because the terrorists don't want to attack us. They do. Attacking the U.S. is the ultimate prize. But it's very hard for them to get the bodies over here and then get the bodies over here and avoid suspicion. Some of them get in, but then they are watched by the government and then the uh, then when it's figured out what's going on, then they get arrested before they can do anything. A lot of times the government does not arrest suspected terrorists. They watch them and see what they're doing and see what they're going to lead them to, which is smart. So what we don't need here is enough people coming over here, enough bodies over in the U.S. who are experienced terrorists that will establish a terror network over here or will be able to organize a sophisticated terror attack like what we saw in in Paris. And this is a very hard thing to prevent once you have the people with the expertise and willingness to carry it out. It's very tough. You bring several terrorists into a crowded public place with a machine guns, a lot of people are going to die. And it's, uh, it's going to take some time to get the police down there to stop them. And by then, hundreds of people will die. So the key to stopping this is to prevent these people from getting in the country at all or if they do get in the country, to watch them closely so you are led to any kind of terror conspiracy that might be taking place. But that's impossible if you let in a mass number of refugees. And it's a sad situation, what's going on in Syria. And it would be great if we could help without endangering this country. And the problem is, once you get to that point, it's hard to go back. In Europe, because it's so easy to travel within Europe because of uh, agreements that the European Union Union has with each other, it's very easy to travel between countries, and this has actually made it tougher to track terrorists, and there's been poor communication between these countries. That's also been blamed upon what happened. That's why there's been some calls to change that, the way these European countries are communicating with one another. The US doesn't have that. The US doesn't have a union with any other country to where they can, people can travel freely almost as if they're traveling between states. We don't have that here. It's a big deal to go across the international border here. So for terrorists to get over here, get in undetected and operate undetected within the country. It's just too hard. That's why they have not been successful yet. Now, yeah, we had those Boston Marathon bombers, but these were just two brothers who decided to just go do this. That's that's impossible to prevent. if You're going to have a few crazies doing that. But this was not an organized terror attack, the Boston Marathon. The Paris thing that just happened, that was a very organized terror attack. That's what we don't want to see in this country. And we want, we don't want to change anything that will make this any different than the last 14 years, where we have none, had none like this. It goes back to, if it works, don't fix it. For 14 years, despite the Middle East despising us, we have not had a single organized terror attack in this country. You can't argue with those results. 14 years is a very long time. 14 years of radicalized groups, powerful radicalized groups, in the Middle East, wanting so badly to commit organized acts of terror here and none have occurred. So we should be looking at what we did right over the last 14 years and not change it. Because once that's changed, then you're screwed and then it's hard to go back to where you were. There's a big ocean between the United States and where these terrorists are. And you want to use that big ocean to your advantage. Our isolation is the biggest factor in keeping us safe. Blue Father saying he thinks they're going to target New Year's Eve. I, I don't think so. I think it's too hard. Terrorists are actually very careful of what they target. They they don't like to target high-profile things because it's uh, it's too expected they're going to do something. They realize they only have limited resources and a limited chance to pull these things off. So they've got to hit you when you're not really watching. They've got to hit you when you're not expecting it. What they did in Paris... That hit them where they weren't expecting it, at that theater. What they did on 9-11 14 years ago. That was us not expecting it. To show you how much precaution they take, even on 9-11, they purposely picked flights that were historically empty. They researched this and figured out which flights typically were going off half full or less, and those are the flights that they took over because they did not want to take over a full plane full of people because that raised the chance that what occurred on Flight 93, where there was a passenger revolt, would occur. They wanted fewer people to lower the chance that uh, they would be stopped. So the terrorists, they're not as reckless as you might think. They're not just... They might be reckless with their own lives as far as uh, not caring if they die, but they do care if their mission succeeds. Lou Father doesn't believe as a passenger revolt the Air Force took him down. I think the Air Force would have taken it down, but I don't think they did. I think the Air Force was on the way to do it. I don't think they did it. At the very least, the people on the plane indicated to those they were talking to on the ground that they were going to do this and they said this to family members it wasn't just to members of the government who would lie so JSTAT stat saying the safest place to be after 9-11 was the MGM Grand Osama bin Laden's sister was a high roller there yeah but he was estranged from his family by that point Uh, they did want to attack Las Vegas. In fact, the Bellagio made some changes after 9-11. After 9-11, you were not able to park in what is now the valet section. There used to be a self-parking lot. You couldn't park by yourself there anymore because it was discovered that you could uh, obliterate the Bellagio by parking in that lot and setting off a bomb. They set up that little security booth where you pull into the self park in the main lot where they make you roll down the window and speak to them and they see if you're suspicious i've noticed they're not really manning that as often anymore these days but it used to be you'd have to stop and they take a look at you and say a few words to you and decide if they want to continue Lou Father is begging me to read this on the air. So, okay. Lou Father in chat says, fuck backwards ass, towel-headed camel jockeys everywhere. Lou Father. (laughs) Look, I'm just saying, we we don't want to bring refugees in where terrorists will be hiding with them. I'm not saying the refugees are terrorists or will become terrorists. I'm saying the terrorists will pretend to be refugees. And once they're here, that's a very, very big problem. This just isn't something we want to change. We just cannot do anything to disrupt the good security we've had for 14 years by basically controlling who gets in here and doing a good job of it and keeping close track of suspected terrorists. Grow Millions is saying in chat all terrorists were Saudi in 9-11. How come the U.S. went to Afghanistan? Why not the Saudis? Uh, it, it's because of who was in control in Afghanistan. Just because they're from Saudi Arabia doesn't mean we're in war with the country. It just means that's where they're from. Afghanistan is where the terror training camps were. It's where Al-Qaeda was in power. It's where the Taliban, which is supporting Al-Qaeda, was in power. That's where it originated from. It didn't matter what the citizenship was of the uh the terrorists j Sta saying planet Hollywood forced us to open our trunk after nine eleven to protect the property. yeah, I think there's too many conspiracy theories here that you know, about nine eleven about why we didn't go after Saudi Arabia blah blah blah. I don't believe a lot of this stuff. Anyway, uh, I Am Greek is saying, I've always been concerned about Vegas since 9-11. Seems like it would be so easy. Yeah, I have too. You know where I've been really concerned? And they had dogs walking around there this year, presumably because they were concerned. And that is uh, the World Series of Poker. They had bomb-sniffing dogs there. At least I think they were bomb-sniffing dogs. I think that the World Series of Poker would really, really, really be an easy target. And hopefully there's no ISIS people listening to this broadcast. Otherwise, maybe they'll get some ideas. Maybe I'll become one of the the victims there. But the World Series of Poker has thousands of people. They're all within close, close quarters. There's general pandemonium there. Uh, I think it would be easy to sneak weapons into there because people are carrying all kinds of stuff around. Uh, there isn't that much security presence. Uh, a lot of different ways to get in and out of it. Uh, especially if you're willing to give your own life. You know, if you're hoping to do it and escape, you're probably not going to do very well. But if you're willing to give your own life, and I mean, honestly, if I wanted to take a high-powered weapon into the Amazon room or the pavilion room or whatever where there's a mass number of people playing poker, bring a few of my friends in, also with high-powered weapons, and just fire on everyone and kill as many as possible. Uh, I, I'm sure I could easily get those weapons in to the main tournament room before security would even see me. And I, I'd probably get off a lot of people. I'd probably... Knock off, not get off, knock off a lot of people. If I got them off, they'd probably be happy. But uh, I'd knock off a lot of people before they'd get me. It, it would be worse than what happened in Paris. I think it's very vulnerable. But I, for whatever reason, they're not going after it. Probably for the same reason I just stated. It's just so hard to get that organized in this country right now. And by the way, for anyone listening, I know the FBI has listened to this show before. Uh, I, I'm not threatening to do this or encouraging anyone to do this. I, I'm just concerned that this can happen and I want the Rio to take the precautions to prevent this. And I, I don't mean over-the-top precautions like metal detectors at the Rio. I mean just security posted at every entrance and to block off certain entrance that uh, people can get into. There's a lot of different ways into the World Series, which is disturbing for, from this standpoint. So I I hope this doesn't happen now. I am Greek is saying in the winter 25 guys could go into strip casino front doors wearing heavy jackets and then pull out high powered weapons and shoot people. True. He's saying it's easier to hide suicide vests or I'm saying even uh high powered weapons in cooler weather. That's true. I guess if you're wearing a big coat walking in in July or August in Vegas, you're gonna stick out like a sore thumb, but in December, no, it can get cool there. It can it's windy, it's in the thirties. People wear heavy jackets all the time in Vegas. Crypt is asking in chat over under two hundred, how many could be killed at the World Series? I have to say over. If you have not just by yourself. One person couldn't kill two hundred, but You bring in several people to do it, you could easily get 200 in in those cramped rooms. See, I've thought about it. I've thought about it sitting there playing. Like, I wonder if just one day a terrorist is going to burst in and just start firing with a machine gun there. Like, it could happen. I don't think he would be stopped before he would get in there. That's what's sad. so, the good thing is, believe it or not, I don't think that ISIS is that aware of the World Series of Poker and its logistics. and I, I don't think they really think about that. I think if they think about Vegas, they'd probably do something like what I Am Greek is suggesting, <laughs> suggesting, or, or fearing, that they could just show up with a suicide vest or high-powered guns under a big coat in December and just shoot people or blow themselves up. That's probably what they do. The World Series, like, we know about the World Series, but I don't think terrorists and ISIS know enough about the World Series to pull this off. Like, if I were in ISIS, I could probably pull off a good one at the World Series. But uh, fortunately, I'm not. Fortunately, I, I am not in ISIS. I have no interest in killing anyone. And uh, I don't want to see anyone get killed. The opposite, I'd love to see they've improved security at the World Series so this couldn't happen. But if anything saves us from violence at the World Series, if terrorist attacks at the World Series, it's because I don't think terrorists know the World Series very well. So, in short, I'm against the refugees coming into the United States from Syria unless they are refugees unlikely to cause much harm women and young children. But no teenage boys, no men. Be very bad. Playing with fire there. Finally, I want to talk about Charlie Sheen. On November 2nd, 2015, there was a post by Sonatine on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum saying... Charlie Sheen is HIV positive. Winning! November 2nd. Now, unless you read the Poker Fraud Alert Forum, had you heard anywhere that Charlie Sheen was HIV positive on November 2nd? Keep in mind he did his appearance confirming his HIV positive status on the Today Show on November 17th, and this didn't hit the media that he was going to until November 16th. But November 2nd, we had it on Poker Fraud Alert. Winning! Hmm. Poker Fraud Alert came up as number one. Number one on Google search for Charlie Sheen HIV+. plus. <laughs> number one this was for over a week until finally outlets started picking up on the story but still as recently as November 16th just three short days ago poker fraud alert was number seven in fact four dragons even took a screenshot of it number seven if you typed in Charlie Sheen HIV plus isn't that crazy such a huge story And just three days ago, the day before he appeared on the Today Show, verifying this, that we were number seven for searches on Charlie Sheen being HIV plus and number one for over a week. I'm telling you, I got to learn how to monetize this stuff because I could have, I could have made bank from the traffic that I received from Charlie Sheen's HIV positive status. Winning It would have been winning for me Not for you When someone told me I was number one Or not I was But the site was number one I couldn't believe it I thought they were bullshitting me But then it really was and It was still number seven As of three days ago That's nuts Let's see what Delaware has to say Delaware, hello Hey Yes
1: Hey, how's things
0: going, boys? Well, it's not boys It's just boy this time It's only me
1: not only you. You want to show down tonight?
0: There's nobody else, just me.
1: I, uh, this, uh, ISIS, uh, this, this war, didn't Bush ever hear of the holy wars or anything like that. I mean, I went to 10th grade, though. So I went to, but, uh, holy wars go for hundreds of years. I mean,
0: well, they might. I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's gonna be over soon, but,
1: this this war, there is no end to it in your lifetime. Probably not, unless you walk away, like Vietnam. Unless you walk away. No, you can't walk That's away from this though.
0: You it. you can't walk away from this though. They the the radicals, the, uh, the Islamic fundamentalists, hate the West and they want to see the West destroyed. They see the West as as, uh, as sinful and evil, and they in fact there's even uh, further evidence that they actually want the West to fight them. Uh, to create a, a holy war between uh, them and Muslims so they can take over the area as, as like the saviors. Uh, the bottom line is they're, they're not attacking us because they're unhappy about things that we're doing. They're just going to keep attacking because of what we are. So if we, if we ignore them, they're not going to go away. They, they're never going to... I agree with you, this is going to last a very, very long time and I don't know what's going to end it. Uh, but, but it's not going to end on its own. There's, it's not like Vietnam where you can walk away and if you leave them alone, they leave us alone. You, they won't leave us alone yeah. no matter what.
1: There's no yeah, and, uh, but in uh, this one, uh, it's 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 casualties, but it's kind of like Japan. I mean, they never got your attention until you dropped a big bomb on them and blew them, them all and blew them all. Uh, they got your then you got their attention and the war was over. Now, you, uh, this might come to this sometime. Hey, uh, hey, hey Delaware! I've got a
0: concern here. Uh, you you don't sound right right now. Are you, are you tired at the moment? Are you drunk? What's going on? You sound like you're kind of out of it right now.
1: No, I'm fine.
0: You're fine? Okay, you just don't sound like yourself.
1: Oh, well, I'm getting older.
0: Okay. Now, it's not just that. You were older last week, and or two weeks ago, whenever you called uh, in. You sounded fine.
1: Every week I'm older.
0: I know, I know. But you're not significantly older than when we last heard from you.
1: No, no. I've had a, I had a cold life for a week. I'm just getting Got over it.
0: Okay, okay. All right, but yes. I
1: mean, I understand this stuff, and uh, it don't make a lot of sense. I, I blame Bush for so much bad shit.
0: No, uh, you That's can't blame. Bush. Look, nine eleven—the worst thing we've had—happened only eight months into Bush's presidency, and it was all planned while Clinton was while Clinton was president. So, you can't blame him for that one. No, you can't
1: blame. No, you can't blame him for nine uh, eleven. I'm sure uh, you can't blame him for that, but I blame
0: him for it. Uh, how he was only there for for eight months? They, they didn't plan this in eight months. It was planned way before that. They didn't attack us in 2001 because Bush was president. It's
1: what what happened afterwards.
0: No, but the point is the fact that it happened at all, the fact that something of that magnitude would happen at all, and and it wasn't Bush's fault since he was only there for eight months, uh, and and this had been planned before that, the fact that something of this magnitude happened at all uh, shows that you can't just say this is Bush's fault, we wouldn't be in this if it wasn't for Bush, because look what happened... uh, before he was uh, even doing very much. He was just barely there when this occurred. So I, I, I can't say that uh, there's no way you can say this is just Bush's fault. It, uh, it shows they're just going to attack us no matter who's there and no matter what our policies are. It's just, it, I believe it's just an excuse to attack us. Whatever's going on, whatever they claim they're angry about, it's just an excuse to attack us. That's what I believe. Well, it's
1: going to come to the day that you're either going to have to attack back or you're going to just have to come on home. That's the only choice you got, and let them, let them do what they're going to do themselves over there.
0: Well, that's that's a different story. I'm just talking about uh, them wanting to attack us here is, is the question. And I, I, they're really expressing the desire to do so, and you've got to be careful not to let that happen. And you have to understand that no matter what policy changes you make, no matter what foreign policy... Decisions you make, they're still going to want to attack us. So there's no point to try to appease them. They're going to want to attack us either way.
1: Well, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. All right. The younger people, you know, younger generations, what's in trouble?
0: Yeah. Well, maybe they are. We've we've heard that for years, though. They always say the younger generation's in trouble, and then uh, they end up okay.
1: Yeah, maybe we'll be all right. Okay. Nash, son, have you ever uh, heard of the Thunderbirds? I've heard of the Thunderbird. No, I know about the Thunderbird.
0: No, I know about the Thunderbird Hotel in Vegas. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I know about yeah.
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's no longer exists. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's gone. Have you? Did you ever see a chip from the Thunderbird?
0: No, I was too young to see chips there, but I, I do know of it.
1: They were like 15 grams or 15. The, they were the heaviest most beautiful chips that ever come out. They were they were just awesomely happy. I,
0: I think when my parents like a were a
1: silver dollar in the middle of them. Really? I,
0: I think when my parents were young they stayed at the Thunderbird.
1: And the only thing I wished they'd have done was uh, just collect the chips of of uh, the places that I'd been to you know that have all been torn down and
0: yeah, I think you can still find some of those somewhere on eBay. I think they're obtainable if you want them.
1: Is that right?
0: I think so. So, uh, I, I think even Mike on was, a, was like, getting some of this stuff for a while, so.
1: Yeah, it was amazing in 73 when Ungar was there and I was there and Moss and all of them. I mean, a 3 and 600 game, they were pretty good games back then. They had... They, that, They had a lot more of them than they had larger. Well, 3 and
0: 600 in 1973 is like, uh, I think that's like six times as big because of inflation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. I guess it would be. Yeah. And the the games wouldn't really last. Uh, Hunger was uh, playing there one day, and God said, I want to play you when you got your own money. He said, well, I owe about a million dollars, so it'll be a while.
0: Did you That's actually? Did you see it. these guys playing there? Stu Unger? Did you see them oh, yeah. in person? Oh
1: yeah, Moss, all of Pudger Pearson, Doyle Bunsen, all of them.
0: But, but you were there and, and physically saw them playing back then.
1: Right, I was right in the next table from them.
0: Hmm. Okay.
1: When they, when they played, but their games, their games were were short. They were yeah, Moss run the dunes, and uh, they were playing in there. But their games weren't yeah. didn't last long. Yeah, well, I was I was alive
0: in 1973, but I was only one, so I couldn't really uh, now, pay attention now. back well, then.
1: it was 49 cents for a breakfast, a monster breakfast. The forty it cost 49 cents. It was unbelievable. Uh, it was, you you didn't even want to ask for anything calm because it, it's just too embarrassing.
0: Well yeah I remember they I remember they had uh the super cheap meals there in Vegas for a while. That was that was a hallmark of Vegas for many years until that kind of disappeared in the early nineties. Yeah, now from
1: what I understand it's it's not
0: cheap to eat there now. No, it's not. It's expensive now. Unless you unless you get away from the strip then you can get cheap things. But it's not, not like really, really cheap, just not expensive. Yeah.
1: But I I bought, bought, there was four head of us went in 1993 and had four breakfasts and the bill was $3.80 some cents for four head and the ham they had to bring on a separate plate. They had ham and eggs. That. I said, how the hell do you tip on a, on a less than $4 You know, I,
0: I've wondered that, too. I, I, I've I been to a few of those really cheap meals, and I've wondered the same thing. Like, what do you do with tipping?
1: Yeah, what, what do you do? Well, look, you guys have a good evening, good show as always.
0: Okay, thank you, Delaware.
1: Okay, take care.
0: Bye. All right, so here are uh, some texts I've gotten here. A bunch of texts came in in a short period of time. From the 443 area code, Scott from the East Coast should call in. From the 410 area code, Brandon or, no, Brandon or no Brandon, I'm thankful for this show. From the 505, you think Vegas would have been hit by now. Also, can you text me the name of that credit reporting site? Okay. it's Again, it's annualcreditreport.com, exactly as it sounds. Annualcreditreport.com. And it's free not one of these shites like free credit report that claim to be free, but are not. This is actually free. Then let's see what else we have from the four one two. Is it a stroke or cold meds? Is he bad guys? Dad. This is referring to Delaware. And the 516, more likely a poker player bombs the World Series of Poker to kill off his competition. It's kind of hard, though, because all the competition's at different tables. You'd have to, like, kill everybody then. I don't think it'd be worth it. Alrighty, so let's see what the chat room has to say, then I think I'm going to shut it down. Lou Father just going crazy in the chat, but since the show is about to be over, I think I'll just let it go. I think he might be drunk. All right. We'll be back in six days on Wednesday night we'll see if that improves the ratings the ratings went down since we switched to Thursday and but tonight they weren't that bad I'm looking the ratings uh, almost back to normal and now we're going to switch days again it's probably going to disrupt it again but Wednesday is the new date for the show should be every Wednesday except uh, when I tell you it will be an exception uh, we will be having a show on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so if you're on the road and you're stuck in traffic, you're sitting at the airport, feel free to listen. You can call sorry, 712-775-8162 to listen if you don't have an internet connection. Remember that we have constant rerun streaming. I've even been listening to the old reruns, which I, I never used to do. I would never like, go play old reruns, but... I actually enjoy calling up that number and just hearing what's playing and going, oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It's actually more interesting than I thought it would be listening to myself again from years ago. The weird thing is when I... I forget some of the things I said and I think, oh, like if I were broadcasting this right now, this is what I'd say next. And then I say exactly to the word what I'm thinking I would say. I guess it makes sense. I'm the same person. Just two or three years older. So... Yeah, whenever you're bored, just check out the radio page on Poker Fraud Alert or call that listen phone number and you can hear the radio anytime. Just streaming random episodes, which I'll turn back on shortly after this is over. I have to manually turn it off and on in order to do this live broadcast on that phone number. So, I am done. Another show in the books. Another show that I've done with no co-host. Hopefully next week that changes. Daredevil may come back starting next week. So if you miss him, we may have him as co-host starting next week. Because he can make it on Wednesdays. I heard Ski can too. So maybe some co-hosts in the future. Until then, good night. See you in six days. And Shalom.